This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday morning on LBC. Well, there they were. The old has-beens, the 14 Z-listers that uh, I'll probably get about three and a half hours out of this morning. A celebrity, joke of the century, Big Brother turned up with some of the dullest people you've ever seen. All the predictions that we came up with on Sunday turned up. Every single one of them was in there. So the leakage is that sieve which is Channel 5. Eamon and Ruth had a quiz show yesterday and the best you can say about it is it's done on a very, very cheap budget. It must be they're presenting it. And to be honest with you, it's just another quiz show on the telly. They've all got quiz shows. Everybody's got quiz shows on the telly. Only this one's got two presenters, mainly because obviously one couldn't handle it. All of that and more this morning on LBC. Well, as I sit down yesterday watching that dreary little PR machine, which is Julian Assange, I kept thinking, go on, go now, go now, go on, walk out the door. Don't turn around, it doesn't matter. And I remember thinking to myself, go on, disappear. No, it was just another pathetic publicity stunt from the desperately sad and probably, I should imagine, even at the Ecuadorian embassy, they must be desperate to get rid of him by now. He sat there for ages. I didn't realise, I thought the Ecuadorian embassy would be something really flash. Apparently it is that two-bedroom flat that he's in. That is the Ecuadorian embassy, and they'd probably like to rent it out and get some money out of it, uh, as opposed to having him sitting there, which is costing us a small fortune. And so the pathetic man sat there having sort of garnered the world's media, and we sat there, and all I kept thinking was, he's going to go, he's going to go, he's not going to go, he's not going to go, no, he's not going to go at all. He's telling you that he might be going. And that was as far as it got. It's a bit like saying, at some point today, I might go to the toilet. It was about as exciting. So we sat there listening. Of course, the funniest thing was that we had to listen in, uh, in Spanish to one thing. I didn't quite understand why there weren't any interpreters handy, and so we had to, had to listen to that for a little bit. And, uh, and in the end, it just came to nothing. It just came to absolutely nothing. There was, there was nothing about it that was remotely interesting. And that's why I think a lot of the papers decided they weren't going to bother with this attention-seeking man. It was just a little PR exercise. It's a bit like uh, Andy Murray's dreary mother. Oh, yes, she's going into uh, to Strictly. Yes, Andy Murray's mother, Judy, the woman who quite clearly believes in her deluded, small, pea-like brain that she's of some interest to the British public. They seem to think on Strictly that she could be, uh, she could be somebody who could win us over. I don't know why. I've got no idea why. Since when did the mother of somebody famous become the interesting person? And then I looked over in Celebrity Big Brother, and I'd, as I say, the, the word celebrity has been banded around really a little bit too much, I think, in this day and age. You know, we all understand exactly what celebrities are. We understand what they do. Uh, many of them are not really celebrities at all. As far as I'm concerned, a celebrity is really somebody who's actually earned their spurs, somebody who's been on, uh, you know, a programme, and they've actually given of themselves. You know, they've actually gone the extra mile. You know, I mean, the joke that is Frank Maloney, I'm afraid, really has to be the most pathetic example of anybody put on Celebrity Big Brother. Because some bloke decides to change sex at the age of 195... Channel 5 then go, he'd be a good one to get on the programme. People would be interested. Yeah, people are laughing at him. That's what's the sad thing. He looks like the reject from Benidorm that is Tim Healy. And so he sit there looking at poor Frank Maloney. Even when Audley Harrison confronted him, he was sort of looking at him thinking, oh, my God, what have you done? It's, like, it's, like sort of, it's just a joke figure now. As opposed to being anything very interesting and very positive for transgender people, he's become a figure of fun. You know, we're laughing at him. Audley Harrison, not particularly interesting, not particularly interesting. I mean, the moment he said he didn't drink, I thought, we're in for a dull time here. And I tell you, he turned out to be the most boring, inarticulate person that there ever is. 
David McIntosh, claim to fame, Kelly Brook's fiancé. And that's about as good as it gets. He's as thick as a plank. Claire King, who was uh, the soap siren from Emmerdale, just came over to me like a bad drunk. Every time somebody wandered around with a bottle, yeah, drink. And she was looking a little bit well the worse for wear. They had to tart old Deirdre Kelly up. That's White D. That's the woman who's never done a day's work in her life. That's the one who sponges because she's got depression. I feel depression coming on every time I see her. Uh, then we had um, George Gilby. George Gilby's claim to fame is that he's 30 and a bit simple. And that's, you, know, you probably never heard of him unless you've ever seen... Channel 4's reality show, Gogglebox. If you haven't, then you have no idea who he is. And once you've watched him for about a minute, you'll be wishing to heck you'd never heard of him ever again. Gary Boosie is uh, a 70-year-old film star. He starred with Keanu Reeves in 1991. I suggest, really, it'd be easier to go to the cemetery and start digging people up. There's no point in actually putting any on there. I mean, nobody's any interest. Adele Lynch. Adele Lynch turned up. What was she in? A little group called Bewitched whose one rubbish single was called Sailor V, and so she's opted for Celebrity Big Brother. She's neither interesting nor a singer, but she's in the programme. James Jordan, we did predict that the little dreary one who was dropped from the BBC would end up on this programme, and he has. But to be honest with you, he's shown himself to be nobody of any interest. Leslie Jordan is fabulous. The only reason I love him is because he's an Emmy winner. He was... uh, Featured in Will and Grace, he's a little man, he's very funny, he's had a one-man show, he's just camp in the extreme, and he's hilarious. Stephanie Pratt, well, aptly named, I think. This is the woman who was in Made in Chelsea. She's been arrested for drink driving and shoplifting. She's admitted to struggling with substance abuse. In other words, she's a complete waste of space. Ricky Guanaccio. Yeah, we didn't know who he was either the other day. He's a former Geordie Shaw lover boy. What a buffoon. What a buffoon. He's apparently been an ex on the beach, and, uh, and that's about the extent of it. There's no, there's no talent. There's no brain. But the funniest two there, as far as I can make out so far, apart from Kelly Maloney, and apparently the reason he chose the name Kelly is because uh, he's dyslexic, and that was the easiest name to spell. The funniest two people on there are Paul Lauren Goodyear. Lauren Goodyear, 27, but with the, uh, the brain capacity of a five-year-old child. Turned up here, collapsed on the floor after a sex tape she made with her ex-boyfriend was leaked. Nobody's seen it, of course, because everybody thought she was lying through her teeth about it. Apparently, she had to go into hospital. It was all very... She thought she was going to die over a sex tape that, uh, that was made with her. The other person was equally hilarious, Angelique Morgan. This woman is apparently 38. I thought she was about 70. I had no idea that they age so badly in France. She shuns alcohol and cigarettes. I don't know what we we can put down her ageing badly process. I don't know. She's also called Frenchie. I bet she is. She's apparently had a stint on Playboy television. She's an exotic dancer. She's a tart. Okay, you could see what she is straight away. Uh, She's a buxom blonde. She's very old-looking, very haggard. And I'd never heard of her before. But there again, there's always somebody in the programme. Normally, though, if it's somebody I've never heard of, it turns out they've been in Hollyoaks. Because Hollyoaks seems to sort of dredge up as many bleach-blonde people as you can find. And in the case of uh, Angelique Morgan, she's not been in Hollyoaks. In fact, she's not actually been in anything of any note. So you've got Lauren Goodyear... And uh, there she is. She's had to. She's tried desperately to lose weight, poor cow, but it's not worked, has it? 
It's absolutely failed miserably. She's 27, but as I say, mentally she's about five years old. And uh, no doubt she'll be droning on about her sex tape. And no doubt Kelly Maloney will be droning on about how he's always wanted to be a woman. And we'll set the movement back about 500 years. And it was all, it was all a bit low-key, really, I'm afraid. And so that's it. Nobody cares about them. I couldn't care less where they'll kill each other in there. That'd make it marginally more interesting, wouldn't it? Here we... Let's play Russian roulette today. That could be the exciting part of the game. We're going to play Russian roulette. And then you can get rid of the people you don't like. I mean, so far, they've said that Frank Maloney is emerging as the winner. We've only had the winner for a few hours. And already they're actually saying Frank Maloney could be the winner. I couldn't care less. We, we, we've had a sex change before, do you remember? We had um, that uh, Portuguese a short while ago. I lied, I lied. Nadia. Whatever happened to Nadia? Nothing. Disappeared completely. Did a couple of TV programs. Weren't yeah, very funny. Okay, off you go, love. And that was it. And in fact, if you look at some of the uh, the past winners of the program, it's a right bunch of old degenerates. It really is. So this time round, there's nobody in there of of any interest to me. They're, they say that they're going to be in there for um, for a few weeks. They reckon they've all earned different amounts of money, but you know, three quarters of them you could just drop out of an aircraft, and you'd be more than happy. I mean, David McIntosh going round... I mean, already he's been inappropriately touching people. But there again, he's with Kelly Brook, isn't he? Uh, Claire King needs to cut out the drinking straight away. White D. Uh, be looking forward to seeing some evidence of this depression, which she's managed to tell people she's had for years and years. Uh, Lauren Goodyear, I don't know what you can drone on about, dear. I really don't know. I mean, I've, I'm, I sort of despair with you. You've tried everything, haven't you? She's hoping to find love in the house. Which shows how desperately low rent she really is. And as for poor Ricky, the former Geordie Shaw lover boy, so he's not even current. Not even current. Poor soul. Love it. Love it to death. Uh, Cliff Richard. And now MPs are demanding answers from the BBC and police chiefs. Heads are going to roll over this one. I'm totally convinced they've made some huge mistakes. They've made some huge mistakes. And I, I think that what will happen is they're going to have to ask questions. I mean, there are MPs' questions from the BBC. Because it was somebody from the BBC, so we're told, who phoned up the police and said, you know, we've heard this is going to... Where have they heard this? Where has this come from? And that's what the MPs are going to say. Where did the BBC get this information from? When did they first contact South Yorkshire Police? Who did contact South Yorkshire Police? Let's have names. Let's find out the name of the news editor who contacted South Yorkshire Police. Let's find out who this person is. Because there's something that's, uh, that smells a bit rotten here, I'm afraid. And uh, they'll be then asking, why have South Yorkshire police complained to the BBC? And then, uh, the questions they'll ask the police, who knew of this planned search? Probably just about everybody, I should imagine. Uh, when did the BBC request more information about it? Did you or any of your officers delay or change the time of the search at any point? What they're trying to find out is, did the BBC say, listen, we need a couple of hours to get a helicopter up in the air? Because something stinks in this whole thing. You know, it really does. I mean, if, if there's, if there's a, you know, a misappropriation, well, then fair enough. But at the moment, he's not even spoken to the police. Nothing at all. You know, is there, is there a, an agreement in place with the BBC on how they could report the search? You know, that's, that's what we want to know. That's, this is what the MPs are going to be asking. And I suspect they're going to be asking really tough questions and heads are going to roll. I want to know the name of the person at the BBC who phoned the police. Who was that person? That would make it interesting. When did you hear about it? Where did you hear from? Where did you hear from? And at what point? And did anybody in the police department say, OK, we'll hold off for an hour to give you a chance to get a helicopter up there and get a reporter outside? Because for them to do that without ever, ever, even anybody bothering to phone Cliff Richard and say, by the way, would you like to fly home tomorrow? Then we can come round to the house. 
Or is it, is it this element of surprise kind of thing? It's, I mean, it's just something smells pretty rotten in the state of the BBC. But there again, not for the first time. Quarter past four. Hotels. 19 minutes past four. Nick Ferrari and the team. This morning, commuters will face massive bills from next year as the fail, as the rail fares rise yet again, forcing you to pay thousands just to get into work. We'll hear from one of the companies planning fare rises. And Nick will be asking, can you afford to ride the train? Plus, as the government plans to extend the troubled families scheme, Nick will be talking to Community Secretary Eric Pickles about how much the whole thing will cost and as it's revealed that nearly a million migrants can't speak English. Nick will be finding out whose fault it is. Looking at the papers today, Daisy McAndrew, political journalist and broadcaster. It's amazing, actually, when you look at the uh, the cost uh, from... I think they're going to talk to the chairman of the Seven Oaks Rail Travellers Association. So he goes from Seven Oaks to Charing Cross every day and it costs him... £3,800 a year. £3,800. Seems an awful lot of money, doesn't it, really? And uh, he says, you wouldn't mind being the most expensive service in the world if we were the best. And you know the other thing? If, if you buy a ticket on the railway, it does not guarantee you a seat. It only guarantees to get you from A to B. You don't, you're not guaranteed a seat. So for some of these people coming in, by the time the train arrives at Twickenham Railway Station, for example, in the morning, which is heading into London, so it does Twickenham, then it goes Richen, Richmond, Clapham Junction, Waterloo. By the time it gets to Richmond, they're practically pushing them onto the train. It's so packed. I mean, there's no chance of getting a seat. No chance of getting a seat. And I think people know that. So, of course, the further up the line you live, the better it is, because you, you want to get on the train. But people just push and shove, and they don't really care, do they? They really don't care. 84850, Steve, at uk. See who's up this morning. Uh, Jackie in Paddock Wood is up, which is good. I think people should be up at this time of the morning. Bumped into Brenda yesterday in Twickenham. I said, I was talking to her about this friend of mine in Stoke Mandeville Hospital. She said, I know, I was listening. I think she's up every morning. She looks really well, really, really well. You remember Brenda used to work in the chemist that I used to use. I don't use that chemist anymore. I now use, I now use goods because I like Mr. Shah and I like the team in there. And uh, I've now got an eye infection. I don't know where it came from. I've got no idea. In fact, I woke up this morning with two problems. One was I felt a lump in the side of my cheek, which is still there. And I thought, I don't know what the heck that is. And the other one is the is my eye is swollen up beyond belief. So I've got to go to the to the doctor this morning to try and get those things sorted out because I'm in danger of sort of the eye just giving up completely. And because it's swollen to twice the normal size, it's it makes reading a little bit difficult. Driving should be hilarious later on today. I, sh- I shan't be driving. I shall wait till I've got something. Because I tried some cream from the chemist yesterday. And to be honest with you, it's not really done. I think it probably needs something a wee bit stronger. Uh, Steve says... I've been counting down the minutes until your show starts. I don't normally work on Tuesday, so I only get to listen to your podcast on a Tuesday. But working overtime, as I'm so busy, I'm now on the way to Swansea. How lovely. Swansea, eh? This time of the morning. Good grief. Uh, One of the air crew listeners is uh, Ian. He says, when will your podcast with Tony Blackburn air? It'll be uh, airing after the programme's been transmitted. So uh, the Tony Blackburn In Conversation transmits this coming Sunday... And uh, and then it's repeat. So it starts at five till six in the morning because it's a whole hour. And then you actually get it again at nine o'clock in the evening. So just after Clive Bull and just before Duncan Barks comes along. So uh, that's it. Uh, Gary was a wonderful Oscar nominated actor for the Buddy Holly story before his motorcycle accident caused severe brain injury, says Tam. But he's in America. Why have we got an American on a on a cheap Channel Five show? What's the point of that? Is it because they can't find enough people? He must be standing there going, who in God's name is Lauren Goodger? And what is this freaky French thing like? What's she going on about? Everybody was trying to avoid her like the plague. 
It's a shame, really. Uh, huge liquid lunch with Alice. That's Trelawney at the Shakespeare's Head in Carnaby Street. Consequently, went to bed far too early. That's the pr- if you go to bed too early, you wake up too early, don't you? Have you noticed that? I do that. Yesterday, I did go to bed early, and I woke up again, and I looked at the clock, it said half past ten. And I thought, half past ten? How on earth am I? I'm, I'm awake at half past ten, and I was wide awake. So I thought, I'll watch a bit of telly, and then I decided to sort of go back to bed again, and clonk out for the count, which is lovely. Uh, eight for eight five oh. Sue says, I've got a new concept for Channel 5. Let's have Celebrity Big Brother with actual celebrities in it. Yeah, I mean, we don't want a bunch of old Z-listers, do we? I mean, to, to be honestly, to be brutally honest... And I'm sure he's a lovely chap, but I mean, who gives a stuff about Audley Harrison? What's the point of putting him in there? He's not a celebrity. He's a boxer. He's a boxer. He's not a celebrity. He's a boxer. <laughs> Why is it still on, says Dean, on the television? Nobody gives a toss. They don't, actually. Well, when you consider an ex-hooker won the last one, and that was the cheapo version, a vile, disgusting piece of work. As one of the critics says today, you can't imagine anybody ever wanted to pay money for it. But apparently people did. Always a big mystery to me that when you look at some of these people, you only have to look at uh, at Jodie uh, Cunningham, and you start. And apparently, she was a hooker as well. And you think, unless you're blind, who in God's name is going to be wanting to go anywhere near her? Uh, I see that Lee Ryan has done another embarrassing thing. Just breathing is a bit embarrassing for Lee Ryan, and here he is. He's uh, he's on tour. Of course, he can't drive because he's banned from driving because he's a convicted drunk driver. He got drunk on beer and vodka with crew members at the Crown Plaza in Glasgow. And then he was egged on, so he started taking his clothes off. Next thing, he jumped on the bar in only his pants and started dancing. And uh, a row broke out with staff telling him to get off and put some clothes on. He was then asked to leave the bar and he went red-faced to his room. Blue on Anton Deck's takeaway on tour. Dear God, they've scraped some barrels, haven't they? This is Anton Deck who are doing that feeble river dance thing, which they did on television months ago. A band spokesman said last night, Lee apologises for any upset and inconvenience caused. He's a drunk, isn't he? I mean, let's put it down to the fact he's a sad, pathetic waste of space. In fact, the whole group's turning out to be a bit of a disaster, really. So Lee, who's been uh, banned from driving because he's a drunk driver, and now jumps up on a bar because he's too drunk. Isn't he a bit old for doing things like that? He's 31 years old. You know, do you not think that maybe he can act like a, an, an adult? Do you think at some point he might actually mature? I think unlikely. Then, of course, you had Anthony Costru weed over a cash machine down here, just over the road, just next to Pret-a-Manger at the post office, and um, and then the rest of it, I mean, it's just... I mean, I suppose there's one sensible member. Simon Webb appears to be the only sensible one in there. Ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. I did laugh. There was one... St- Where did I laugh at this story? I can't remember what it was. I was I was sort of going through the paper. Oh, yes. Troubled Daniela Westbrook. Troubled. Waste of space, Daniela Westbrook. Has fled to Los Angeles to he- to, to find God. You don't need to go to Los Angeles to find God, dear. He's wherever you want him to be. She's a lapsed, born-again Christian. You're a bloody waste of space, love. I know what you are. But apparently the pastor of the Sanctuary in Orange County, he's a former drug addict and professional skateboarder. She's admitted taking cocaine, you stupid woman, honestly. She really is stupid. Apparently she hasn't been to church in ages. Well, of course she hasn't. She's too busy shoving Columbia up her nose. She believes God can help overcome the turmoil in her life. No, she doesn't. She doesn't believe in anything at all. She's too doolally. Apparently, she first worshipped at the sanctuary in 2011. You know, this is the year 2014. And uh, then she's been joined by daughter and fiancé, Tom. He is supporting her through her troubles. They've been through a lot. Been through a lot? What, because she shoved half a Columbia up her nose? Why is that going through a lot? She slept with the man who gave her coke in Spain. She says, I've cheapened myself. Darling, you haven't cheapened yourself. You've always been that cheap. There's no cheapening at all. 
but apparently she has, she's had uh, surgery, and now she thinks that running away to America to find God is the way forward. As usual, you know, Daniela Westbrook, everybody else's fault except her own. Everybody else, oh, I think I'll go and find God. Well, in Los Angeles, love, with a former skateboarder and drug addict. Why can't you find him over here? Got loads of churches over here, love, or is that a little bit, little bit too close to home for you? I do get so angry with these people, it's ridiculous. Max Clifford was allowed out of prison the other day. A convicted sex offender, serving an eight-year sentence, was given special release on compassionate grounds. So he goes to the funeral of his brother, and he's handcuffed. He's handcuffed to a, to a, a I'm assuming, a prison officer. Now, I don't want to pour scorn on Max Clifford's offences, but they are historical offences. You don't need to handcuff him like he was one of the crazes or something like that. Not a convicted murderer. So he arrived at the crematorium in a blacked-out van to say farewell to his brother, nicknamed Bunny. And he chatted and uh, laughed with friends and family. Then he was returned to jail. I mean, he was allowed... You know, I suppose he has to be grateful to them that they allowed him out in the first place. But handcuffing him, a little bit stupid, I think. It's not like he's going to attack anybody at the funeral, is he, or something like that. His daughter Louise was there as well. He gave a thumbs up after the funeral service. It's almost like they, they, the police officer was trying to recreate the craze. Remember when one of the craze was allowed out? I think Reggie Cray, was it Reggie Cray? Allowed out for his mum Violet's funeral. So they found the biggest police officer they could to make Reggie Cray look as tiny as possible. And they handcuffed him to him. And you think, well, you know, there's all these people around there. What do they think's going to happen? You know, in the case of, case of Max Cliff, what do they think he's going to do? Run away with the coffin or something? I can't understand it sometimes. It does get a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? So the tops and the flops from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Tim Vine, excuse me, uh, is the king of the one-liners. But there again, he was always the king of the one-liners. You know, I mean, he has fantastic, fantastic jokes. Uh, Some of them are are very funny. Some are very, very funny. And the best joke they, uh, they came up with, I decided to sell my Hoover. Well, it was just collecting dust. Some of the other one, uh, I'll go through some of these people. I did a, a gig in a fertility clinic. I got a standing ovulation. Thank you. Uh, ever looked at anyone and said, I love you, but I don't want children who look like dolphins? Okay. And uh, Connor Drum, I moved to London to properly pursue comedy. That means I work in a restaurant. Okay, that's quite, quite accurate, actually. Um, I tried to Google endangered species. They were hard to find. I'm lazy. My childhood ambition was to be an injured footballer. That's from Mike Shepherd, which I think is good. Uh, my mate sat on my pumpkin. He butternut squashed it. From Leo Curse. And from Kai Humphreys. People say I've got no willpower, but I've quit smoking loads of times. I'm very good friends with 25 letters of the alphabet. I don't know why. Most of my day is spent avoiding conflict. I hardly ever visit Syria. And so they go on. You know, there's loads and loads of jokes. It's like, really, sew your sides up and they'll be absolutely rib-ticklers. Tom says, I like to hold hands at the movies, which always seems to startle strangers. It does, doesn't it? Have you ever found yourself doing that? I mean, I had a conversation the other day going around Costco with some bloke who wasn't even with me. I was aware of somebody pushing the trolley next to me, and I thought it was my friend. And so I'm going round, and I'm chatting away, and it wasn't until I looked at him, I thought, I don't know any, I've got no idea who you are. Who are you? And it turned out it was some person, and he looked at me, and I thought, oh, God, he thinks I'm mad. Mad as a broomstick. So uh, so I didn't bother. I sort of wandered off, I just pretend, I started talking to myself, I thought, perhaps he'll leave me alone now. LBC News Time, 4.30. 28 minutes to uh, five. Have you interviewed Bill Nye? I'd love to listen to it. Well, go on to the website. Why do people ask such stupid questions? 
Well, you just, if you podcast, you go on there and you discover all the people are on there. Yes, we've done Bill Nye. All right, end of story. God in heaven, it's like dealing with a remedial, isn't it? Have you ever sort of blown your nose in public? Oh, I don't know. I'll have a check. People do ask the stupidest questions, really. Uh, 84850, uk. I'm up, I can't sleep, says Ian in Portsmouth. Well, you're probably shoplifting, aren't you, I should imagine. That's what goes on down there most of the time. And uh, another one here, Julian's bedroom tax in Knightsbridge, £7 million, says Karen. Yes, I mean, that's the... Um, that's, but that is the embassy, isn't it? That's, apparently, that's what it's cost us. It's six to seven million. Um, which is, it seems it's probably worth, worth more than the flat is. Steve's in Reading. God. And uh, somebody says... Sorry? No, no, Reading's great. Well, the good thing about it is the sign that says you're now leaving Reading. That's the best thing about it. I know Reading quite well, actually. What a dump. I tell you, it makes Slough look sophisticated. No, it doesn't, actually. I mean, Reading's quite good if you, if you really like living in slums. And uh, it's got Little High Street, which is nice. And it's got a, a little John Lewis in the middle of it. And it's got the Butt Centre. And um, it's got McDonald's. And it's got some nightclubs. It's got a railway station. And, uh, and it's got got pubs. That's about the, uh, that's about it, actually. Uh, 84850. Somebody says, no such thing as cream for the eyes. Don't be so stupid, of course there is. Uh, <laughs> and another one here. I'm trying to find as many of these two uh, to get in on the programme this morning. Uh, i tell you what I watched the other day. I, I, it's only because I was going through my DVDs, because a friend of mine said, why don't you clear out your DVDs? And I said, no. No. Um, and so I started watching The Queen's House. And it was a, a two-disc DVD set on life at Windsor Castle, which the Queen, you know, thinks is her sort of proper home. I thought Sandringham, she thought, was a proper home. But anyway, nevertheless, uh, they do this thing on Windsor Castle. It's very interesting to watch the, the protocol. 300 people were at Windsor Castle. And the, uh, and the meticulous attention to detail when they have banquets. And they were extending Entente Cordiale to, I think, uh, Chirac and his wife, who went over there and stayed there, and they put on a performance of Les Miserables, and it was all very nice. And most of the people in the palace seemed absolutely wonderful. The poor chef in the kitchen was, was going apoplectic because they were running 20 minutes late, and everything at their banquets is done to a series of lights. The Queen will always hold a glass of wine. You won't ever see her drinking from it. She never drinks the wine. I think because she's 80-something, and I don't think she likes the taste of it anymore. And she doesn't eat very much either, but she does like her meat well done, so we have something in common we have something in common. Claire says, why haven't the SAS stormed the Ecuadorian embassy? Um, I think, you know, to be honest with you, we're just going to leave him in there until he becomes so ill he crawls by himself to the door. That's it. Because yesterday's PR stunt by uh, Julian Assange, he's sick. I'm going to leave the embassy soon. But, of course, the moment he does, he'll be arrested. And uh, I thought yesterday he would have packed his own little bag. He's such an attention seeker. I'm a bit bored with people like that. We mamby-pamby around, don't we? They had the other day... Where did they have? They had some of these... Um, anti-frackers who superglued themselves to doors around the country uh, in an effort to try and upset... I'd have left them there. I'd have left them there. You want to superglue your hand to a door, bloody well stay there all day as far as I'm concerned. At some point, you're going to want to go to the toilet. At some point, you're gonna, you can, as far as I'm concerned, you can wet yourself, stand there all day, I'm not bothered. Like the, the other day, we had a bloke up a tree, a housebreaker. 17 hours he sat up a tree and we faffed around like big girls' blouses. Whereas I'd have taken a chainsaw, hacked the tree down and dragged him away. All the trains had to be diverted out of railway stations because he was up a tree and he might have fallen onto the line. Good! Good! I still maintain that story from Japan was the best one ever. All the, all the, all the people sitting on a motorway while some bloke was threatening to throw himself off a bridge. In the end, some poor Japanese guy had had enough of it, got out of his car, climbed up on the gantry and pushed him off. Made it so much easier, didn't it? 
I'd have done it in this country. You know, we had somebody on Tower Bridge years ago. The traffic just sat there in case he fell off. <laughs> What's his problem, innit? Should have climbed. We should charge him for that. Charge him for things like that. It's absolutely ridiculous. I've never anything like it in my life. And uh, I did watch Judge Rinder as well the other day. He says the same thing. He does the same thing. He's come up with the same lies every day. He's as camp as a Christmas tree. He really is. In fact, I don't know why Christmas trees are camp, but they just are. And he's got this expression, which is, do you understand? And if he says it once, he says it 30 times in a programme. Do you understand? Do you understand? The reason is, we don't understand you, pal. I don't understand where you get these people from for this programme. It ain't no Judge Judy, put it that way. This one, I don't know where he came from. I thought a casting agency... Uh, and he does do another one about breaking wind in a lift. That's another one of his popular expressions. He's not very good. I know Bryn and Annie absolutely adore him. I just don't know where he's come from. I hope he goes back there soon. But it says, do you understand? I'm doing so and so. Do you understand? That's what he says all the time. All the time. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Let's try and weave in some more of your uh, texts and uh, emails in a moment. Uh, I love reading Ian Highland. He talks about uh, Alan Carr today, chatty man. He talks about Talisa. And he talks about uh, Evan Davis at the start of Dragon's Den. I can't watch Dragon's Den anymore. I've decided I don't like Deborah Meaden. I've decided, after much careful consideration and soul-searching, she's as tight as anything. She hardly spends any money. Every week she, oh, for that reason, I'm out. I thought, have you spent any money? Do you go in and negotiate discounts in supermarkets? Does she ever spend any money? Ridiculous. Anyway, um... <laughs> Even Ian Highland says, I'm not saying that the people on Dragon's Den are a bunch of tightwads who are more interested in plumping up their own egos than they are in helping entrepreneurs. But in this series, they've averaged fewer than two investments per show, tightwads. They are. They're really tight and mean, aren't they? They're interested in plumping up their own egos. Ian Highland absolutely hit the nail on the head. Simple as that. I see there was an armed gang who attacked a prince's motorcade, masked robbers with machine guns, swooped on a Saudi prince's motorcade to steal £200,000. Uh, they obviously had a tip-off that they were carrying money in the car. 200000 Apparently the prince, who was not named, was now under armed guard for obvious reasons. The car rammed and blocked off the lead vehicle, which has cash and sensitive papers on board. Eight men with Kalashnikovs surrounded the convoy in Paris's ring road at 9pm on Sunday. With Kalashnikovs. You can't believe it. It's like something out of James Bond, isn't it? French police are working on the theory the gang was tipped off about the journey. They're bright, the French police, aren't they? They're about as bright as they are in Peru. And they're not particularly bright, but uh, in France, oh, we don't know. They know nothing over there. They really are. It's, you know, if ever you're going to get away with a crime, Paris is the place to do it. Couldn't even find the car that killed Princess Diana, could they? We saw a Fiat or something, and I don't know, disappeared. And so here, they've got, there's no clues at all. They were looking for clues on CCTV, but, I mean, you know, they're all like... They're all a bit barking mad over there. So somebody must have tipped them off that he's going out there at 9pm at night in a, in a, a cavalcade of cars, and they've got £200,000. Hardly seems worth it, really, does it? You know, if, you, if you're going to break into somewhere, £200,000 to risk spending the rest of your life in prison is really a bit stupid. I did laugh yesterday, but then, it, unfortunately, it turned out quite well for her. It was one of these women on Deal or No Deal, you know, otherwise, uh, otherwise known as the Greed Programme. That's where they offer you serious money, and uh, she, was, uh, she was actually quite nasty. At some point, I thought she was really a horrible person. I didn't like her. And uh, she wanted 250000 and she lost it. Of course, I laugh, because she'd been offered £26,000. And um, and then they offered her 
£30,000. £30,000. And I thought that's life-changing for a little chav like her. She never would have seen it. And everybody's saying you should really take it, it's £30,000. And then she had 50000 and something left in it. And she gambled the third. And I was hoping it was going to be like 20 quid. But sadly, it was 50 grand. And she didn't gamble it. Because <laughs> she would have got nothing. And she, she decided to keep the 50 grand. But it's based on greed, that programme. And that's why I love it so much. I'm fascinated by how far you can push somebody and how much you can offer them before they go, thank you, Mr Banker, but no. You know, and she said, I've, I've been knocked about before in the past. I thought, I bet you have. You know, I've been knocked back. I want to get, and I want this money. She didn't work, incidentally. I thought I'd just point out the fact she didn't work. And apparently she was so hard up, she had to borrow money to feed the family. I love stories like that. I always think, well, you look fairly well fed to me, love. But they always say, I haven't, you know, haven't got enough money to fit. And so you go on a TV quiz show. So if she hadn't won anything, they wouldn't have eaten for the next year, would they? I like the story of, uh, of the Muslim man who's married a Jewish woman in Tel Aviv. And 200 far-right protesters protested. They picketed the wedding. They picketed the wedding. Four people were arrested as police formed a human chain chain to keep the extremists from uh, rushing the 500 guests at the ceremony. A counter-demonstration was held in support of the marriage on Sunday between Mahmoud Mansour and Morel Malka, who'd converted to Islam. Hours before the five-day truce in the Gaza Strip ended last night, defiant Mahmoud said, we will dance and be merry until the sun comes up. So 200 people protest. God, it's pathetic. It really is pathetic. Uh, Talking of pathetic... Uh, lots of people... You know, the latest thing is to sort of drench celebrities in ice-cold water. And in a valiant attempt to try and drum up some support from the ailing uh, viewership, poor old Susanna Reid and Ben Shepherd agreed to do it. But there again, when you paid that much money, I'd expect them to be dropped from a great height into the Thames. And uh, the weather girl poured water over them. I mean, that's how desperate they are to try and get an audience. I'm sorry, serious news person, Susanna. Don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. We know that... Um, that poor old Benjamin Shepherd's a bit low rent, but uh, to be good, you know, goodness sake, that's the best you can manage, is it? God in heaven. It's a shame nobody knew about it. I've had to report it now. If you want to fight depression, White D, this is specifically for you, love, uh, start gardening. You can grow your own way. Show the enterprise your community. Get out there in the garden, you know, plant things, do it. But of course, easier to sit at home and sponge, isn't it, D? Much easier to do that. Although I'm now led to believe that you might actually be thinking of paying tax. Very happy about that. Very happy. I like the idea that you might actually be sort of, you know, getting yourself off. Mind you, of course, the moment the work dries up, which can't be too far away, uh, she's back where she started again and suppose she'll be very, very depressed. I agree with you, says Helga, about Dragon's Den. The dragons are attention-seeking, full of themselves, are enjoying belittling the entrepreneurs. I don't watch it anymore. Uh, no, I'm not uh, wild about it. I just think they're tight. I just think I'm watching a programme which is designed to line their pockets. It's not designed to do anything else at all. Um, I want 40% of your business. I'm going to give you £30,000. Ah, sod off. That's what you feel like saying to them, isn't it? You just get a bit fed up with the fact that they're just there to line their pockets. Why can't they give the money to, you know, to the, to the company that employs them? Why can't it just be for, just for fun? And uh, luckily, some of the entrepreneurs have held out and they said, no, stick it. I'm not interested. Not interested. So that's what they do. But as for Deborah Meaden, I mean, I, I don't I can't remember what she does. She's been in here a couple of times. She seems perfectly pleasant. It's just that on the programme. If you watch them back, you start thinking you're just tight. You know, you just don't spend the money on it because they're only interested in looking after themselves. They couldn't give a stuff about anybody else, I'm afraid. Uh, eight four eight five zero. Andrea in Berry says Cameron is practicing, practicing austerity. First Portugal, now uh, Cornwall. Us OAPs, no way. Well, in fact, uh, Tony Blair, Middle East envoy, is currently on his second holiday of this year. Does that man ever do anything? 
He's either at the guest of Cliff Richard, or this time round, I forget where he is, he's, he's somewhere, but he's on holiday again. Got a fortune of, what did they say, between 20 million and 50 million? Or is it 100 million? Or is it 500 million? Who knows? Who knows? It's obviously a lot of money. A lot of money. There's a, what did I see the other day? Ronan Keating's coming into a show in town. I'm sure I read that somewhere. I remember seeing a poster. It's on the back of a train or a... And Pauline Quirk has got an acting academy. It was odd. There was an advert on the back of a bus. Come to Pauline Quirk's academy or something like that. And I remember thinking, Pauline Quirk? Lord. She's a fairly shy person, as you will uh, discover if you go along. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. I did like that line about the people supergluing themselves, the anti fret Just leave them there. Why should, why should the police bother un- ungluing somebody who wants to do that? I just leave them there. It's like people who want to protest. Fathers for Justice protest every so often. They climbed onto number one London a short while ago. And uh, I, just, I just left them there. Why should we bother? The police have got better things to do than sit there. I just sit down there and just pour water. Just make them want to go to the toilet all the time. That's the best thing. Or just eat. We go, We're eating burgers down here. Let them stay up there. I couldn't get, eventually, they're going to come down, aren't they? Because that's what they do, these people. They only go up there to be attention-seeking. Or in Julian Assange's case, they sort of rush along to the Ecuadorian embassy. I mean, who in God's name had ever heard of Ecuador before he went down there? Least of all, the fact they actually had an embassy. Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Well, minutes to five is the time. It's Tuesday morning in London town. The voice of the footy results has died. That's James Alexander Gordon, aged 78. He said he would die uh, with the microphone in his hand. I think anybody in broadcasting says that. I said I want to die on air. If you've heard the programme before, there's a chance that it might happen. Uh, Head of Sports says he was a a true um, iconic radio voice who turned the classified football results into a national institution. I never understand why they say that, actually, because I used to read the football results years ago, and you you, you seem to adopt a different different tone of voice, because you you have to detach yourself from reading football results. I used to enjoy reading horse racing results, but the football results used to go, you know, Berry 1, Plymouth Argyle 2. Newport County, six. Burton Athletic, four. Stevenage, one. Wickham Wanderers, three. Tranmere Rovers, two. Cheltenham, seven. And that's what you'd have to read it like that all the way through. And I used to, I used to get the horse racing results as well. You know, the two o'clock at Chepstow. First, number one, Swilkin, seven to one on. And you'd, you'd go and you'd read them all through. And people used to say to me, used to read football results. I said, yep. Every Saturday, every Saturday is to read football results. I used to do a sports programme on LBC, even though I know nothing about sport. Absolutely, you could, what I know about sport, you could write on a grain of sand. I've seen sport. I know about as much as the next person, because I love the ill-informed football fans. They'd sort of say, oh, you can't do a football programme, you know, without knowing about football. Believe you me, you can. I did it for two years. Very easy. Very easy. You just pick up the back pages and you're just talking about, you know, Chelsea's big money buys proving their worth. Jose Mourinho getting the better of uh, Ginger Mourinho. And then you, and you just sort of read those bits out and then people interject with it. Before you know where you are, you're an expert. Don't take much. I like the idea of the guy who ran onto the pitch the other day. He's going to appear in court. Anything to liven up an otherwise dull game. That's what he said he did it for. He had a few drinks and he livened up a dull game. Will it just not be normal just for the club to go, well, you know, very funny, don't do it again? As opposed to, he's going to court over it. What a waste of court time. What a waste of everybody's time. Who cares? He ran onto the pitch. Years ago at uh, rugby, we used to get all the people who used to streak. And that was, uh, that was fairly funny first time round. It was funny first time round. Third, fourth time round, it was getting a bit dreary. And then by the time he got to the tenth person, nobody really, nobody really gave a stuff, I'm afraid. So going back to the 
uh, the Big Brother lineup. You know, and the poor, the poor creatures on there, James Jordan. I mean, what on? I mean, perhaps you need the money, mate. I can only feel immensely sorry for you. Deirdre Kelly, the single mother reality show, nicknamed White D. No, she's got some other nicknames, believe you me. George Gilby, he won't contribute anything. Uh, Adele Lynch, nothing at all. And Angelique Morgan, the 38-year-old glamour model and TV host. When they say TV host, it's not on anything mainstream. It'll be the tacky end of the market. But uh, joke of the century is Kelly Maloney. I mean, it, it only put in there as a joke, because he's been Frank Maloney, very successful for years and years. Nobody asked him then. Nobody went, let's put Frank Maloney in there. The moment he starts putting on a blonde wig and saying, call me Kelly, he becomes of interest to people, which means you're laughing at him for the wrong reason. David McIntosh, complete waste of space. You'll soon discover he's a bit monosyllabic. He was a bit monosyllabic the other day. He's going to get worse, I'm afraid. Lauren Goodger will just be trying to make friends with anybody who can understand what she drones on about. Perhaps she'll be trying to explain to them who she is. Or perhaps they've already done that bit of the programme. Either way, I think we've seen it and we've, we've had enough of it already. Nothing else I can think of. Uh, Claire says, Deborah Meaden ran caravan parks. Well, that's quite, uh, that's quite lucrative, isn't it? Caravan parks. Tom from Welsh Wales says, your football voice is quite impressive. It's not bad, is it? I, I mean, I, I, I can read football scores. Luckily, I'm quite good at reading full stop, which is not bad. Um, another one here. Uh, at 2am in the morning, couldn't find a hotel in Paris, ended up with a police escort driving down the Champs-Élysées, helping us to find a hotel. Yeah, we actually, we had a little book to find a hotel. The hotels in Paris, unless you're spending serious money, they're a bit rubbish. They're a bit rubbish. They're, they're OK, but their standard's not quite the same as ours. Uh, 84850, Celebrity Big Brother is not the right environment, says Mary, for Kelly Maloney. In this, uh, it's a big publicity face for money. I mean, there's not a letter in the alphabet that covers the crazy people that are in the house. Yes, I mean, he's in there because quite clearly he wants money. You know the R's for money for interviews. When he was in the outside world, which we tried to get hold of him, he'd have done an interview with us, but for money. So perhaps he needs it, perhaps he hasn't got any money. I mean, that's what I sort of worry about. And also he's in there for the wrong reason. He's in there. He's not in there because he's, he's Frank Maloney. Sorry, he's not in there because he's a boxing promoter. He's in there because he's having a sex change. That's what he's in there for. So, in other words, he's in there for completely the wrong reason. But there again, they always find some oddball, don't they? Every time we've had somebody in the house who's been a cross-dresser or they've been transgender or whatever the politically correct name is nowadays, we sort of sit there and we gawp at them. Nadia, you know, turned up on things and she was us all over the place. You know, a bit like a Brit. Most of them seem to have problems, you know, in the Big Brother house because they're dealing in a different environment. You're dealing with the same bunch of people who are all there for the same reason that you are. They want to be noticed. I mean, Lauren Goodger is so attention-seeking, it's an embarrassment. You know, she can't find a bloke for love nor money because, I mean, what's she got to talk about? I happened to flip onto an 8 out of 10 cats earlier on this evening, which I do like. I think a couple of the people, there's somebody on one of the panels, I can't remember his name, but he's very good, very funny. And uh, they had Gemma Collins on. And she hardly said anything. They had to sort of kind of lead her into something. So, you know, so when you went on a hen night, you know, what was the thing that annoyed you? And she didn't really have very much to say about anything. So I thought most of these people from Essex, you know, they've not been trained in the art of conversation. The art of conversation is, uh, do you want to take me home? And that's about as far as it goes, I'm afraid. As for uh, Ricky, ex Geordie Shaw, I mean, they say ridiculously good-looking. Oh, sorry, he says that. Unfortunately, thick as a plank. And uh, and Stephanie Pratt suffered with uh, substance abuse and bulimia. God, I must, 
Honestly, I tell you, most of you seem quite normal, don't you, really? When you look at all these people who go in the newspapers, when you look at sort of the ridiculous Danielle Westbrook, you look at the ridiculous Jordan, you look at the ridiculous, well, just about anybody from The Only Way's Essex, they can't manage their own life. They couldn't manage to open a matchbox, these people. They're, they're, just, they're just really drippy at doing anything at all. Mainly because they're only young. Lydia Dim used to write to us on the programme saying, I'm a businesswoman. I thought, no, you're not. You're just a bit cheap, aren't you? 23 years old, she goes back into the Only Wears Essex. Within 24 hours, she climbed into Arge's bed. To me, spelling the word tart, ladies and gentlemen. Britain faces a fortnight of uh, wet weather with chilly Arctic winds. There's a surprise. There's a surprise, ladies and gentlemen. Just when you thought it was going to be nice and sunny. No, we didn't. I think we've had enough of that. Every time I speak to somebody, they always go... They always go, so, um, where's summer gone? Oh, it was finished. It generally finishes a little bit later, but this year it's finished a bit early, so 19th of August. Good news is, it's a bank holiday weekend coming up. Good news is, you get more of me. You get the extra seven, because no, nobody does the news programme on a bank holiday. They can't be bothered. There's obviously no news on the bank holiday Monday, so you get me. So if anything happens, like Assange decides to leave the embassy, I'll be doing it, OK? Which I'm looking forward to. That's exciting. Because nothing happens on a bank holiday. The only thing that's happening this year is the same as happened last year and the year before and the year before that. Notting Hill Carnival, which is great fun, if you like that kind of thing. You know, it's where the people of Notting Hill get out as fast as possible, and the people who don't live in Notting Hill take it over and wee in your doorway. OK, that's exactly what it comes down to, because every year the people of Notting Hill say they've opened their door to people thinking that it's a public lavatory. So all the posh people of Notting Hill, because it is mainly posh, there's a few common people, it has to be said, and there's a few people out there on the rob, but generally speaking... Do you remember we, we did it one year? That's always been my favourite LBC story. The Steve Allen outside broadcast. I was so excited. Steve, can you do the Notting Hill Carnival? I'd love to. So me and Therese Birch get up there. They park the radio van and we start waffling. You know, we've got an hour of live radio to do, to do the Notting Hill Carnival. The, you know, the sights and the sounds and we we're all ready to do the descriptions. And we've got all the information. But, you know, both of us very good at just chatting Full stop. I mean, I, I could sit down there and talk about, you know, a grain of sand for an hour quite easily. And so we do that. We're standing on the roof of the radio van and we can hear the carnival starting up and you can hear the steel bands and it, it's fantastic. And, and we, it got louder and louder and we're getting more excited. And unfortunately, by this time, we're coming kind of to the end of the programme. We're kind of getting a bit and we hadn't actually seen the blasted carnival up until this moment. So we're chatting away, very excited. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it, the steel bands, thinking at some point somebody's going to have to drag a steel band around the corner. What happened? We're in the wrong blasted road. That was what happened. Consequently, we watched the carnival in another road. Didn't actually pass our road. It took we're in the wrong blasted place. So we filled an hour with nothing. It's probably in the LBC archive somewhere. Steve Allen, Therese Birch do the Notting Hill Carnival. Not. <laughs> Would have been easier if we had an Arctic blast. Actually, I seem to remember, don't they have bad weather over... Over the Not No, we don't actually. Normally, Notting Hill Carnival weather's good. Normally, Notting Hill Carnival is really good weather. I, say, I don't seem to remember anybody being drenched. I seem to remember that I have to advise people every year if you're going to the Notting Hill Carnival, don't take loads of money, don't take your mobile phone, make sure that you know where the kids are all the time, and don't wear flashy jewellery. Because there are some people who will try and take it from you. And uh, if you've got people now who will break into a house in Wimbledon and beat the living daylights out of somebody, believe you me, the thought of nicking a phone off you at the Notting Hill Carnival is going to be a piece of cake, isn't it, really? Uh, 84850. Uh, Martin says it's Burton Albion, not Athletic. I was just making it up. It wasn't actually a football result at all. Uh, 84850. Got off Dragon's Den, Steve. 
Used to like it, but it seems apparently to me they're not that great as business people. Well, they seem to do okay. It's just that I think that the programme should be, you know, designed more with getting money back from it, not helping people become richer. If Assange's bail sponsors lose their money, couldn't they be charged with the cost of policing the embassy, says Dan? I don't think so. I don't think so. It'd be nice, though, wouldn't it? Six million pounds, it's six, seven million pounds, something, to actually uh, sort of make sure that he doesn't come out. The sooner, the sooner he walks out, you know, he will be arrested. He's, he, he, he's, he's going to be arrested. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's what's, what's going to happen. So we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see exactly what, uh, what happens with it. He said he's going to leave... But so far, we haven't seen any evidence. Why, why would you have a, a press conference as they were thinking of leaving? I mean, I should imagine the iller you become, of course you're going to be thinking of leaving. He's a silly little man at the best of times. So when he comes out, there'll be about 300 police out there. Why, for one person? I've got no idea. It's all quite ridiculous, isn't it? News at five is coming up. Plenty more to come on your early breakfast show before Lisa Aziz brings you the morning news at 6.30. Cliff Richard has hired a hotshot lawyer. He's been out and had a five-hour discussion with him at the same time as the MPs start asking questions. You know, exactly how many cock-ups do you need in this particular case? Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens. Cliff, I believe, is going to fly back later this week. Uh, Rolf Harris has now been nicknamed Willy Wonka because he keeps buying fellow lags chocolate bars. Last week he was doing drawings. Tumble... It's dying on its proverbial, I'm afraid. They just can't get an audience, and there's nobody interesting. Again, it's a bunch of Z-listers, I'm afraid. Uh, the rise of Lidl spells out an all-out price war. You can now get four litres of milk for a quid, apparently, or is it two litres, in Waitrose. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everyone. I think it's four pints of milk at Waitrose. Four litres is practically a whole cow, isn't it, for a pound? I found a, a really cheap fish and chip shop for you. If you want to open a new business, uh, this one is Bargain of the, of the Century. It's in Burnley in Lancashire. You can buy this fish and chip shop for nine grand. 9,000 quid. It's not bad. Apparently, it's got loads of local business. They originally wanted 16,500, and now they want nine grand. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it, for a fish and chip shop? Oh, I've always wanted a fish and chip shop. Uh, Max Clifford allowed out of prison to attend his brother's funeral, handcuffed. Julian Assange, the attention seeker, says he'll soon leave the Ecuadorian embassy. Like anybody gives us stuff. And if you want a healthy heart, get good neighbours. And how many pubs have we lost? Over the years, we're losing thousands. Details right now on LBC. Uh, and uh, actually, I was just looking at all the... Um, but all the winners of Celebrity Big Brother. Because, I mean, let's face it, this time round, a sex change boxing promoter is hardly a celebrity, is he? In 2001, it was Jack D. I interviewed Jack D. Uh, just after. He's always been a favourite of mine. I love it. Mark Owen won it in 2002. Uh, no show in 2003 or 2004. Bez from Happy Mondays, 2005. Do you remember Chantel won it in 2006? Whatever happened to her? Chantel. Poor soul, honestly. Chilpa Shetty. Won it in 2007. 2008, no show. And then it was Ulrika Johnson in 2009. How quickly one forgets. Alex Reed in 2010. Another cross-dresser. Another cross-dresser. Paddy Doherty in 2011. That was that complete prat. Denise Welsh, 2012. Julian Clary, 2012. Ryland Clark in 2013. Um... Charlotte Crosby in 2013 and Jim Davidson in 2014. Actually, I was looking at one of the things there. That is a, on the front page of OK magazine, dreary old Lauren Goodyear. 
You know, I ended up in hospital after the stress of my sex tape. Oh, go away, you stupid 27-year-old. And um, inside Ryland Clark's dazzling new home. It's got that bad. And also, Peter Andre and daughter Amelia, the Stars family, holiday in Kenya. Poor old Pete isn't even main headline now. It's, his career's gone that west. Poor soul, honestly. And they've got an exclusive with... No idea. Uh, some other people. Anyway, um, pubs. We seem to be losing pubs. I don't know it's like your, your neck of the woods. But uh, around the UK, in 1980, we had 69,000 pubs. Today, there are 48,000 pubs. The pubs are closing at the rate of 1,612 a year, or 31 a week. And you know the reason? They can't make any money. You know why? Because the people who own them, some of the big companies, hold them to ransom. So they're the only winners in this. The landlords don't make any money at all. It's like, you're hard push. Especially if you're in London, you probably stand a very good chance, or in major cities, if you can afford the rents. That's why it's only the big companies that can afford to be here. Lots of little pubs on street corners closed. They turn them into, I think we've got one in Twickenham, where the landlord and landlady have just about given up. They've had a few pubs before, and they've effectively been squeezed out by some of these companies who've been exposed on the television as, uh, as operating a system whereby you have to buy your booze from them... If you don't, then you're in breach of contract. But it's cheaper to buy your booze from the supermarket and flog it. But they don't allow you to do that. Doesn't quite make any sense to me. Luckily, they've exposed these people for the uh, the uh, the people that they are. So, what's it going to turn into? One of our pubs in Twickenham is going to turn into like a steakhouse. And you think yourself, that's all we get. we've seemed to have lost boozers. We do have a few in Twickenham. You know, we've got the Barmy Arms, we've got the Swan. In fact, as we, when I think about it, we've probably got our fair share the eel pie. And places like that. We've got quite a number. I can think of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, probably about nine or ten pubs, which do quite well in the Twickenham area. Sometimes they fall by the wayside, the other ones, and then they just sort of, they just sort of give up. But we lose them. You know, 60% of tied publicans, and when I say tied, they're tied to a brewery, or they're tied to a company like Enterprise or something like that. They earn less than 10000 a year. We've got two supermarkets, one, one supermarket in Twickenham, um, in... Uh, in Twickenham, that used to be a pub, and it's now a Tesco Express. Two pubs a week are being converted into supermarkets. And that's all it is. I mean, you know, if you look around London, you know, they say it's cheaper at a bar than by the barrel. There's no profit in selling beer. Uh, landlord Ron Piper was evicted from his pub, the Sir John Barleycorn in Hitchin, three weeks ago after 11 years. He says the pub, owned by Punch Taverns, follows in the footsteps of three more of the chain's pubs in the town, which have recently closed. He said, I was paying £143.70 for a barrel of beer from Punch that I could have bought at the cash and carry for £84.49. I could walk into a Weatherspoons and buy a pint over the bar cheaper than Punch Taverns were selling to me. That's what these people do. That's what they do. They couldn't give a stuff. They couldn't give a stuff. On top of the beer price and the rent, you've got insurance. We go into it knowing these prices. When something goes wrong, like the roof, you expect to get it fixed, but it wasn't. Another one here. David Law had been the landlord of the Eagle Ale House in Battersea for 18 years. He said until recently, he and his business partner were working 60 to 80 hours a week to take home just £200 each. Now they both had to take second jobs. The beer he sells comes at a price set by Enterprise Inns. How many times do we hear that name cropping up? He says here, there's no profit in selling beer. They've left us with absolutely no margin. You know, what with them and Punch Taverns and all the other people? I mean, isn't it just ridiculous? Try and explain this to me. If Ron was paying £143.70 for a barrel of beer from Punch that he could have bought at the cash and cow for £84, somebody's ripping somebody off. 
whichever way you look at it. I mean, why you'd want to go into it. Why do they bother having these pubs? There's one closed here. They've got a picture, in fact, in the paper, and it's a pub just literally round the corner from here in Leicester Square. The Hand and Racket. It's been closed for years. Years and years and years. And I'm assuming it's because they... Um, it comes under a redevelopment of the site because they're opening another hotel the other side of the square. So that means McDonald's is gone. But we've got Kentucky Fried Chicken and students. Oh, God, drunk students in the, uh, in the square this morning. There's not really a lot you can say about them. They're just, they're, just, they're just bad drunks, I'm afraid. I do like Tipsy Jordan Dunn. I don't know why. He ran onto the pitch to take a free kick and said the game needed livening up. This was a West Ham fan. He said, I just wanted to liven up the game. He's going to court over it. I'm taking him to court. I don't know why. People clapped and cheered him as he ran round. <laughs> Thought he should be applauded and given free season ticket, but that's just me, isn't it? I'm always wrong on these things. I think anything that, you know, that livens up a game... <laughs> Not that I've ever been to a, a football match. Uh, 8 for 8, 5 oh. Yes, look, says Phil, for the big black woman dancing with a policeman at the carnival. I think it's the same woman every year. I'm sure she goes to the carnival and she looks out for a policeman and goes, come and dance with me. And she's always got a huge bosom and a big bottom. And she'll be seen dancing in the papers and she'll have a police helmet on and we'll all go, is that woman still alive? <laughs> she's still there every year. Every single year. It's so funny. Lewis Smith! is romancing a celebrity bendier than he is. Lewis Smith is the Olympic gymnast who's appearing on this tumble programme. God knows he's boring. I didn't realise, but apparently spent Saturday night with Pascal Kramer. I'm sorry, darling, I've got no idea who you are. I'm really embarrassed, actually, when people sort of say, Pascal Kramer. Oh, she dated Mario Falcone. Oh, God, everybody did. Everybody dated Mario Falcone. Good God in heaven, there must be everybody in this building dated Mario Falcone. And uh, poor old Pascal. I mean, that's your claim to fame, is it, love? It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, really? Is that the best you can manage? I suppose it is, really. Uh, another story in the paper today. The son of uh, declared or discovered how easy it is to sneak into a lorry at Zeebrugge after finding two parked by the road with their doors open. You just sort of sneak in there. An EECS spokesman, it's a, a European container lorry, said they have been checked before we load them, but they say illegal immigration is a constant threat. We don't want people in our containers. It's not good for your reputation. Because all the Afghans who've arrived in the country, you know, on the back of the container, or in the container, they've all applied for asylum. I don't know where we're putting these people, I've really got no idea. But anyway, uh, they've named the stairways as uh, Meet Singh Kapoor, his sons Aman and Mandeep, and his wife Jagtar, survived. There are around 35 Sikh refugees. Translator, uh, a translator for the Afghans, said... Uh, they feared they had just 30 minutes left. It was pitch black without any air. A little boy said he tried to wake his dad and his dad didn't respond. So, uh, but you get this. This people trafficking has gone on for years in this country. It's, it's gone on for a long, long time. Nothing new about it. It's the same as the cockle pickers, isn't it? The ones who drowned. They were, they were sort of put to work by gangmasters. That's what happens. You do get people. Any time there's any money to be made out of anybody, they'll do it. And so they arrive here. Let's face it, they managed to get into the country, didn't they? And so they've just applied for asylum. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. I didn't think it was possible, Steve, to have more Z-listers on a show than the dreadful tumble. Says a lot about the calibre of celebrities. We're most normal people in the celebrity Big Brother house. We're an ex-dancer from Strictly, a retired boxer and a girl band member with a more famous brother. I don't know. I don't know anything about her, uh, her, her brother. Does she have a really famous brother? Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know, I'm afraid. I didn't know. Thank you, Maria. It's just like scraping the bottom of the barrel. It is actually like scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, who would, who would ever imagine that, uh, that somebody from 
from a faded old band from ages and ages ago would be appearing on the television laughingly as a celebrity. As a celebrity. I mean, that's, that's the bit I can't understand, that they actually believe that they are celebrities. I like the... Uh, oh, there's, oh, there's a story here. I'm not sure whether I should do this one, actually, because this kind of thing annoys me. This is a policeman who has won thousands of pounds in compensation. Why? You know, did his dog bite him? Did, no, he fell off his chair. He fell off his chair. Three other officers from West Midlands Police claimed after getting hurt during safety training. And uh, two officers got 5,000 for dog bites, while lawyers pocketed 35,000. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. They paid out, West Midlands Police, £600,000 on personal injury claims for just 26 cops in the year up to April 2014, including 260000 on legal fees. Five grand for dog bites. I mean, I don't know, perhaps West Midlands police were a bunch of wusses, because down here we're made of sterner stuff. I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? He fell off his chair and we gave him compensation. We get that, don't we? We get people who deliberately go out there and they look to try and get some sort of compensation. You know, they deliberately fall over things or they sort of stage car crashes and that kind of thing, all in an effort to get some money out of a cash-strapped nation. Quarter past five is the time. Tells. Nick Ferrari and the team at seven this morning. Commuters facing massive bills from next year as the fail ri- as the, f- the rail fare rises yet again, forcing you to pay thousands just to get into work. We'll hear from one of the companies planning fare rises. And Nick will be asking, can you afford to ride the train? No other way to do it, is there really? He'll be talking to uh, Community Secretary Eric Pickles about how much the whole thing will cost. This is the Troubled Families Scheme, which intrigued Nick yesterday. And as it's revealed that nearly a million migrants can't speak English, Nick will be asking, whose fault is it? We hear that all the time, actually. You go to Hounslow, you don't hear English spoken very much of the time. But in the same way, I suppose, if you went to a place in Germany where there's a load of Brits, you're not going to be hearing much German spoken, are you, really? Daisy McAndrew, political journalist and broadcaster, looking at the papers for uh, Nick this morning. Uh, as, um, as she told the Daily Mail this year, she really wanted to dance with Artem on Strictly Come Dancing. Judy Murray, the attention-seeking, has had her wish granted, so she's going on to the BBC show with Frankie Sanford. I feel a bit sorry for Frankie Sanford now because they're going to overlook you in the publicity department, love. You had a bit of publicity the other day, and that's about as far as it's probably going to go. Other celebrities uh, to be announced. Uh, Scottish international rugby union player and model Tom Evans, who quit the game, and MasterChef co-host, oh, God, the ghastly Greg Wallace. Oh, I can't bear him. I watched him on the television the other day. He's creepy. He's really creepy. For a fruit and veg man, oh, God knows he's creepy. Really is. Anyway, uh, the rise of Lidl is spelling an all-out price war. And anything that gets the prices down, I'm in favour of. So they looked at the prices uh, the prices across the supermarkets. So, for example, milk uh, here, four pints, pound in Asda. Morrison's one thirty-nine. Everybody else a pound. Sainsbury's, Tesco, Waitrose, uh, over in Lidl, 95 pence. So they're undercutting. Uh, some cheddar cheese, mature, grated, Asda two quid, Morrison's two quid, Sainsbury's two quid, Tesco's two quid, Waitrose £2.25, Lidl £1.29. What else do you buy? Uh, PG Tips tea bags, 160 Asda £4.18, Morrison's £3, Sainsbury's £4, Tesco £4.49, Waitrose £3, Lidl £2.99. There's only a penny in it. Uh, toilet rolls, aloe vera four-pack, always essential. Uh, in Asda, £2. Morrison's, one ninety-two. 
Sainsbury's 195, 195 in Tesco, 219 in Waitrose, 159 in Lidl. So it's emerging as the overall winner. Uh, what else have we got here? So, garden peas. Garden peas? I don't know, I'm not that interested in garden peas. Quiche Lorraine. So sounds very nice, doesn't it? 228 in Asda, 239 in Morrison's, 240 in Sainsbury's, 230 in Tesco, 249 in Waitrose, 119 in Lidl. Now, the reason that they can do that is probably the ingredients aren't exactly the same in all of them. I mean, when you buy eggs, for example, I mean, do you know where they come from? Are they free-range? Are they from this country? Are they come in from abroad? If you want to buy six medium-range, free-range eggs, £1.25 in Asda, one thirty-nine in Morrison's, one thirty in Sainsbury's, a pound in Tesco, a pound in Waitrose... 89 pence in Lidl. They're obviously pushing the boat out, aren't they? They've got honey roast ham. Most expensive place is 4.99 for Waitrose, 1.68 in Lidl. Now, I'm assuming the quality is not the same. It can't be exactly the same, but it's the nearest thing that they found. So when it when it's milk, I don't know where they're getting their milk from. They the, when they can afford to do it that cheaply. So 4 pints of milk for a pound and uh, 95 pence. In Lidl. Is it coming from the same farms? Probably not. Perhaps they've got their own farms. I don't know. I don't know. But it does pay to shop around. So what they've done is they've actually done this weekly shopping bill, looking at some of the items that I've mentioned to you this morning. And in Asda, that works out at £26.46, £25.85 in Morrison's, £27.71 in Sainsbury's, £27.55 in Tesco, most expensive, Waitrose, £31.16, and the cheapest, Lidl, £18.95. And so for people on a budget, you know, why you'd want, why they've got things like malt vinegar? I mean, how much malt vinegar do people get through, for God's sake? And that sort of varies in price. It comes down to, I think, something like 21 pence in Lidl. I've never actually worried about buying malt vinegar, it has to be said. But uh, there it is. So Lidl comes out cheaper, you know, almost half compared to Waitrose. But then you pay for the quality. It's the quality you're paying for in Waitrose, isn't it? People, people like the quality. And I shouldn't imagine the people who go to Waitrose would be the people who would go to Lidl in the same way that people who go to Lidl would probably go to Morrison's. But they don't mention Iceland, and Iceland can be much cheaper. I was standing behind a woman at the till the other day in Iceland... And I heard her say to the woman who was, who was on the till, she said, um, I didn't realise it was so cheap in here. She said, I shall come again. And I thought, well, that's exactly what they want. And they're always terribly pleasant on the till. Terribly pleasant. I remember Albert Trotter. He kept falling down manhole covers to get compensation, says Glenn. Yes. That was the, the Dell thing, wasn't it? When he fell down the manhole cover. He said, how many? He's fallen down 43 or something, whatever it was. It was very funny. Eight four eight five O. Steve at LBC dot co dot uk mary says that new scotland yard an engineer working behind me neglected to tell me he'd taken up floor tiles moved my chair and down a hole me and my chair went wish i'd thought about compensation well i suppose you'd be expected to um to look wouldn't you before anything like that happened somebody asked me whatever happened to erica Rowe, the girl who ran starkers onto the rugby pitch at twickenham that was a girl with a huge bosom um i don't know she said later it, it wasn't actually planned, but then after that, every time they had a rugby match, there's always somebody, isn't there, who goes out there and starts uh, running around uh, with all their clothes off and then all the, the force. They've done it on cricket pitches as well. They've done it just about everywhere. Just about everywhere. They've, they've sort of gone out there and they've, they've sort of taken their clothes off. It's this 
this inexplicable urge we have in this in this country to want to take our clothes off and run around naked, I suppose, to see yourself on the television. It never looks that exciting, does it? Uh, 700,000 migrants do not try and learn English. Nick Ferrari will be talking about this one this morning. But there again, you know, if you if you bring over elderly parents, why would they bother wanting to learn English? doesn't really affect them. They can get by quite nicely, I should imagine. And uh, Victor, chilling out in a new home. He's a 75 stone polar bear. And he was uh, brought... He's, uh, he's the first occupant of an £850,000 facility at the Yorkshire Wildlife Park. And they built him his lake and everything else. He's, he's quite bi- they, they're quite big buggers, you know. And so he's been loaded onto a lorry, ferried to Hull from the port of Zeebrugge. And he's bearing up very nicely. Twelve hours chilling out in his new home. And he's got loads of places to wander. Because you've got to be... I don't know if you're watching the programme on the zoo on the television, which is addictive. It's absolutely addictive. I know that Noreen was watching it the other day. I know that, uh, that she likes it. So if she likes it, she's kind of benchmark as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and says, uh, we all looked at the lineup for Celebrity Big Brother. White D and George from Gogglebox were the only names we recognised. Oh, and James Jordan from Strictly Come Dancing. Uncle Rob and Paul are addicted. Yes, still very tired. As you've said, several people are saying how tired they are. And of course, it's, uh, it's a birthday today. Jonathan Levi's birthday is today. It's the man who brought you the Peaches Geldof documentary, the Talisa documentary, um, all sorts of things about Peaches Geldof. He's done loads of other programmes, all of which generally wind me up. Except the Talisa one. I didn't get wound up by that at all. In fact, he features on it himself. And he celebrates his birthday today. I'm guessing he's 30-something. But what, I do not know. But I'm definitely going to the doctor today. Definitely. If I don't, if I don't get the eye sorted out today, I might, I might be blind by tomorrow. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Andrew says, The hand and racket in Orange Street is where Tony Hancock, Sid James and Tommy Cooper used to drink. He says, by the way, not looking forward to a carnival. No, I won't tell people what, what you do then, Andrew. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, we used to have a building that was actually on not one of the carnival routes, but the crowds used to go past our front gate, and people used to wee through the front gate. Seriously, I mean, I've, I've never quite seen anything like it before. And on the back road, where the funeral directors uh, was, they used to put the floats there, and then they'd sort of bring them out, because they used to have to keep them in the side streets. But the, the bottles of vodka that were smashed all over the road, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. You get kind of used to it, though, I suppose, don't you, every year. But, I mean, I've only ever been to the Notting Hill Carnival once, and that was quite enough for me. I have no interest in it at all, I'm afraid. Uh, neither of the, I, th- I think Ken Livingstone tried to get it moved at one point, and they went, oh, no, it's got to be in Notting Hill. Why? I don't know. Why you'd want to go around narrow streets with this thing? And for the, for, the, for the good burgers of Notting Hill, the people who actually live in Notting Hill, they move out. If you're in some of these, uh, these big villas the Chepstow Villas and stuff like that, and some of the, some of the really posh houses, they don't stay there during carnival time. They're off out, off round to the country. They don't, uh, they don't hang around at all. The story we did the other day of the, uh, the killer, this is Liam Whitnell, who's serving life, and uh, he got an Avengers birthday cake, he got a takeaway kebab, and he says, um, who says prison's hard? Of course it isn't, but uh, uh, they went on to see these men have done something really bad, Things that they should be in a Category A prison, being properly punished. They don't seem to be punished, these people, do they? They, they obviously, because they're so worried about rioting and stuff like that, they obviously just sort of leave them and say, of course you can have a birthday cake, but to actually get a kebab in, almost sort of beggar's belief, doesn't it? Quick time check for you. It's uh, 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC.
Morning, everybody. Artem is not going to be dancing with Judy, says Tony. No, he's appearing in the American version of the show. He's flown over there to do that. So I expect she'll, she'll be stuck with Tony Beak. You remember Tony Beak? That's the one who dances with all the old women on there. And they generally put him on and he sort of floozies himself around all over the place. He's very much like a little oil slick. It's a very funny piece in the mail today by Tom uh, Rawston. And he's talking about when your hamster gets out of the cage and you try and find it. Because everybody's had this problem with hamsters. The one thing you have to do with hamsters, when you, when you first get your first hamster, you've got, to, you've got to handle it every day. Because they're very delicate little things. And if you handle them every day, then they'll be fine. If you don't, it becomes a bit of a shock to them. They've only got little hearts. But they're, they're fairly hardy. Sort of fairly hardy. And they, they struggle through. But when they get out of the cages, because you know when you clean the cage, which you have to on occasions, we just spend our lives cleaning. And then, of course, it messes it up again. We put bedding in there and the hamster, you know, put in the sunflower seeds and the water and everything else. And the hamster was great. And so we'd let it sort of wander about. But then every so often it would disappear. So he's done this very funny piece on, he says, how do you catch a runaway hamster at 3am in the morning when it's, it's managed to get out of its cage? They're quite clever, actually. They're very, very clever. I mean, our one actually got out of the cage. We came in and it was sitting on the top of the cage. We went, no, no, please. Terrible. And, uh, and they disappear. If you've got gaps under the floorboards, hamsters disappear under it. They can be lost for days. Days. Our one used to disappear. We used to make sure the kitchen doors were all shut. Shut the kitchen door. We're cleaning the hamster cage. Don't come in. Don't come in. Hamster's out. People would be able to, don't come in, don't come in, please. And the hamster used to disappear behind the, uh, the cooker and the washing machine. Obviously because hamsters are just naturally inquisitive. If you're cooped up in a cage, and that's why they've got their little wheel going, they, uh, they like to get a bit more exercise. So when they can actually get outside, they love it. And as any children listening will tell you, they're, they're great fun hamsters. I mean, our one was fabulous. We called her Judy. I think the, uh, the hamster in this case was called Patch. They're always called something, aren't they? And we just love hamsters. They're sort of, they're sort of the, uh, the cheap present that keeps on giving. We were given ours in a petrol station. We called into a petrol station. We were caravanning one year. And uh, for some reason, I can't remember what it was, but the, the owner of the filling station said, do you want a hamster? And we went, yeah. And so we ended up going out with a Big Walls ice cream tin with this hamster in the bottom of it. I don't know why we ended up with it or, or why they offered it to us, but we, but we did get it. And Judy came with us everywhere. Judy went on every holiday. We took her in her cage. She seemed to live in this, uh, in this ice cream tin. It was a big walls metal ice cream tin. And she lived in that for ages. And then she got her cage and she was very happy. Very squeaky wheel. They're always squeaky wheels, aren't they? And we used to have to go to the pet shop to buy the sunflower seeds. And years and years and years she lasted. Until she sort of came out of her cage a few times. And she, she was very wobbly. Very wobbly. We took her away on one holiday and she was very wobbly on her legs. And then sadly, Judy passed on. I think we must have had her a couple of years, which is about about life expectancy for a hamster, I'm afraid. And (laughs) I only say that whispering in case kids go, well, I thought we were going to live forever. No, they don't. You have to get them replaced as quick as possible. But they're all very individual and they're very cute and they're very lovely. But when they disappear, they disappear. And our one used to disappear behind the cooker and the washing machine. And we never knew, actually, what what the hamster was doing until my mum turned on the washing machine one day and there was a bang and all the lights went out in the house because, as all hamsters do, they like to chew wires. And so, as she never got electrocuted, I'll never know, but she chewed the wires at the back of the, of the washing machine. When you think about it, I mean, pretty dangerous, 240 volts, and managed to, she now managed to gnaw through it. And then when my mum switched on, there was the bang and all the lights went out. I don't think the hamster or my mother was ever the same ever again.
But it's a very funny piece on, on trying to get the hamster back and putting down flour to find out whether or not it's come back for the food. They seem to, uh, they seem to actually uh, survive, you know, under all sorts of, um, of conditions. And people keep saying, oh, you're going get to get another pet? No, you've got to devote time to pets. I probably would, you know, if, if sort of circumstances were completely different. Uh, I agree with your comments. It's Tony about Greg Wallace. Tony's at Haxby in York. And, uh, yeah, I, I, there's something about it I just don't like. You know, I think we're entitled not to like certain people in this country. I think he's going on there to try and ingratiate himself with the public, because I don't think he has a good reputation. Certainly doesn't have much business sense, put it that way. But there's just something about him I don't like on the television. I don't know, he just comes over as very creepy. I don't know what it is, can't put my finger on it, don't understand it, but uh, just don't like him, which is my prerogative. Uh, 84850, Dean says, I save about two grand a year by shopping in Lidl. Uh, They're not short on quality, but they haven't got any shareholders to feed. Okay. Uh, Pubs and and, uh, us dairies have the same problems with the supermarkets. Selling our main products at silly prices, taking our customers away, but our overheads are still the same. So the profit margin, Steve, has to be increased or we've got to pack up. Mind you, to try and get a supermarket to deliver a single pint. Yes, I agree, actually. (laughs) Before your breakfast with no delivery charge... This is Kevin the Milkman. He's one of those... Actually, I saw a milk float, Kevin, the other day in Twickenham. We had a milk float in Twickenham. I heard it coming down the road because it's an electric float, which was very, very exciting. Very, very exciting. And so that's why... You're quite right, actually. What the supermarkets do, the big supermarkets, is they hold people to ransom. And they hold uh, the farmers to ransom. Small wonders. The farmers are having to deal with everything, aren't they, at the moment? People are pinching their livestock... 90,000 sheep pinched last year, was it? Some ridiculous amount. Tractors are going. Why they don't fit trackers in these things, I've got no idea. Then you could find out where they go. Most of them are pinched, shoved in containers, taken abroad. Obviously not checking very carefully, are they? At the docks, perhaps they need to give them a kick up the rear end. And, um, and they, they really suffer. So if you're, if you're a man who grows, say, tomatoes, and, a big, and you're, you're selling them and you sell to lots of different people. And a supermarket comes to you and they go, we'll take all your tomatoes and we will pay you 60 pence a kilo. And you go, that's lovely. I'm only getting 40 pence. So 60 pence a kilo, you can have all of them. And so for the first year, they take all your tomatoes at 60 pence a kilo. Then, and all your other customers disappear. They go, go shop somewhere else. Next year, they come back and go, we're only going to give you 45 pence a kilo. And you go, but I can't afford to do it. And they go, well, that's either take it or leave it. And that's what they do to these people. They squeeze them. They squeeze them very hard, so the margin of profit gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why you won't find very many happy farmers. They, they try and make out that they're all fantastic and wonderful, but they're literally holding them by the, uh, by the little spherical objects between their legs. It's a, it's a huge problem. Huge problem. All the customer, all you, the consumer, is thinking about is cheap food. You're thinking about cheap milk. You're thinking about cheap vegetables, cheap everything. On this documentary about Windsor Castle, they had uh, Prince Philip going into the farm shop, and, of course, people are going, oh, my God, it's Prince Philip. And he goes, everything all right? Everything all right? And they go, yes. And, uh, and he sort of, he likes the idea. He said, I think they're organic. And they are, yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> Which is wonderful, isn't it? 84850, steve at uk. Um, they've got, uh, ch- I don't know if your children... Uh, do drawings. We did. When, you, when, you're, when you're a little person, you do drawings, don't you? And you, you sort of sit at the table and you do drawings. And sometimes they're actually good. 
And sometimes they aren't very good. But either way, you think they're the best thing ever. And no doubt you've had... Uh, you don't, don't keep them forever, but you've got them for a lot of the time. When your kids do drawings, you pin them on the fridge or you pin them on the cupboard doors and everybody likes them. Everybody's very happy with things like that. And they, they analyse kids' pictures nowadays because we've got um, a little kiddie school in Twickenham where they help them with their art, where they try and encourage them to do drawings because apparently it's terribly creative it's it's a very nice thing for them to to do and it's also it's a very good thing which sort of sets them up later in life so they analyze kids pictures because mummy and daddy always say the same don't they oh that's really lovely and i'm always thinking god it's rubbish it's absolute rubbish there's the bailiffs in the paper today we have lots of bailiffs listen to this program uh, using spy cameras to snatch cars off the street for minor traffic fines and uh, uh nicola had her golf impounded because what happens is the little spy car had tootled along the street and all it does is just got one of those little periscopes on the roof. It's like the Google car. You must have seen that pootling around the place. And uh, this one had spotted the golf outside the house. Along comes the bailiff, lift the car up, take it away uh, because you've got traffic fines. And uh, Nicola Mowbray says... um, Spiked metal gates protected a rather foreboding forecourt where a generously sized man was standing shirtless and missing some teeth, hosing down an old red car. Behind him were about 18 dust-covered old vehicles, all sporting heavy-duty wheel clamps. Among them, my trusty old VW Golf. To cut a long story short, my car had been seized by a debt recovery agency following an unpaid ticket for a traffic offence that had been issued by my local council. I was here to buy back my car from an auctioneer who had in turn purchased it from the bailiffs. I only found out that my car was missing one Saturday morning recently when I went to find it in the street outside my home in South London. It wasn't where I'd left it. I scanned the road. Four of my neighbours have similar black golfs. I could see theirs, but not mine. Nor was there any sign, such as smashed glass on the curb, to suggest it had been broken into and stolen. The answer has been taken by the bailiffs. They go down there, their little cars, they find out where it is, they come back, they lift it on, they take it away. If you don't collect it within a certain period of time, then they put it up for sale. And it goes off to uh, an auction house. So £700 to retrieve a car in which she'd committed a £130 offence, would be out of the reach of most people. And that's why the police, when they sometimes seize cars by the side of the road, if it's activated their number plate recognition uh, system, they say, well, listen, you know, it's going to cost you uh, £300 for this, £150 for that, so and so, and the storage. And some people know the score. And I've seen no end of people, scallies, I think they must be, or chavs, and they say to them, listen, you can, you can have this dealt with at the roadside, you can sign the car over to us, because you're going to have to pay for every day that we keep it stored. And if you sign it over to us, then we'll just have it crushed. And so a lot of people, because they know that the car's not worth anything at all, they agree to, to hand it over to the police. In the case of this woman, she wanted a car back. Only over a £130 ticket, wasn't it? Which is, uh, which is a bit of a shame. To add insult to injury, when I asked for a receipt, I was told I didn't need one. So I just had to pay some guy over the phone £694 with nothing in writing to confirm the deal. I know, it's, it's heartless, isn't it, really? It's heartless, but that's what these, uh, these people do. They make a living out of, uh, out of taking cars away for people who haven't bothered paying the, the outstanding debt. And these, the outstanding debts can actually grow like topsy. It's like borrowing money. We've seen cases before um, where somebody has borrowed money.
from a particular company, and because of the escalating charges and the fact that you might have been late paying some of the, the payments, you end up paying through the nose. And so you end up with a, a debt that starts off at, say, £150, can end up being thousands, thousands of pounds. And if you're not careful, you can lose out big time. And unfortunately, every time the bailiff comes round to your house, there's an extra charge added onto the car. So it's no good saying to the bailiff who turns up, the people who've come round, they're not debt recovery, they're coming to take the car. And if they come round and you say to them when they, when they sort of knock on your door, bearing in mind they've already started lifting the car, uh, haven't got the money, I'll have it tomorrow. They go, well, that's OK, but it's another £260 or whatever it is now for us to come back tomorrow. So you've had, already you've had about £520, which has just gone into the pot for them. You don't see that. So your little debt for a ticket of £130, in this particular case, turned out to be £700 she had to pay back. But she wanted her trusty little car back. Regarding the transport costs around London, needs a mass showdown. Computers to stop using the trains for a week. Maybe skint themselves that the message will get through fast, says David. Yeah, but how are we going to get in? It's a lovely idea. It's like boycotting filling stations and saying, I'm not going to spend any more money on petrol. I'm not going to be paying for this huge amount of money. So we're all going to boycott garages till they bring the price down. They don't care. Eventually, they will starve you into submission. They know that you're going to want petrol. And you know that there are certain people who carry on buying it because they want to go about their day-to-day business. It was like the congestion charge. We thought we'd all been terribly clever. Let's withhold the congestion charge. Let's not pay it. Well, there's thousands of people who do because London is as clogged as it ever was. In fact, if anything, it's worse. And this is after people paying £11 a day. I don't know how people manage to find the money. I really don't. I mean, it just gets so expensive. And it isn't just coming in to town. It's a case of you've got to find somewhere to park. 84850, Steve, at lbc.co.uk. And here is the story highlighted, which I explained yesterday about the polar bear, and yet um, on Sunday's show, talking about the captive whales and how cruel it was. Yes, exactly the same. Exactly the same. But this is a bear that, that came in from a zoo, and it doesn't actually have as much space in there as I suppose the orcas have. I realise it's all wrong, and that's why I said yesterday. I'm caught it between the devil and the deep blue sea on this one. I've been to London Zoo. I like looking at the monkeys in the cage. I like looking at the uh, at the the gorillas. I like looking at the birds. I like looking at everything in there and uh, the lions because otherwise we wouldn't normally see them. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, there's a thing saying they shouldn't really be in here, should they? But when we, when would you ever get to see them? So I agree with you about the polar bear and I agree about the orcas. And that's why I tried to explain yesterday that I didn't know where I was coming from on this one. Do we also sort of say to Norman Barrett with his budgie act in a circus, you can't do that because it's cruel to budgies? I don't know. 14 minutes to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Ten to six, they're going to revive the Generation Game. Now, the last time you saw the Generation Game, uh, it was either hosted by Brucey, Larry Grayson or Jim Davidson. Well, for the first time ever, they're going to have a woman hosting the Generation Game. Honestly, there's obviously no new quizzes on the television, are there at all? But uh, the BBC One controller, Charlotte Moore, has confirmed that the star of Call the Midwife and Miranda who is Miranda Hart, has been announced as the host of the Generation Game. I don't think that's going to work. I don't know why. I mean, it's always been... I mean, to be honest with you, I think, the, I, think it's had its, I think it's had its day, the Generation Game. It was of its generation. And uh, reviving it, I don't think. Uh, but they say here 
that uh, it will work while she continues to be committed to her work as, uh, as an actress. They say it's an exciting process. I don't know. I'm not too sure about that. I don't think women doing quizzes rate very well. And that's why, um, when I watched the Eamon Holmes and Ruth Langsford quiz the other day, it seemed a totally pointless experiment. Because it was very nice, but you don't need two people hosting a quiz, because she didn't add anything to it, and he didn't add anything to it. They were just asking questions of a couple. And they're obviously trying to sell them as, you know, this is going to be... But they're both so old. You know, if they're going to find somebody, try and pick somebody younger for it. But, I mean, we have them on television loads of times. We get her on This Morning and on Loose Women, and you get him on Sky News, and you get him on This Morning, and you get him popping up on Loose Women, and then they pop up on other sort of game shows, and now you've got them on this blasted game show. And it's, it's a bit tedious, really. Nothing to matter with the game show, but it is no different from any other show. It's somebody asking questions. You get them right, you win this. You don't get them right, you lose it. So whether or not the generation get... Mind you, of course, the, this is the BBC... And the BBC don't really care what you think. They have points of view, but they just use that as a laughing platform for you. Because I think very rarely have they actually said anything on there, or you've written into them complaining about something, and something has changed. The answer is it doesn't. They just sort of go out there and they find, you know, the person from the particular programme you've complained about, and they say, well, actually, uh, we thought it was done very well. Well, that's the end of it. They don't, they don't really care. They stick two fingers up to you. You know, the fact that you're funding their, uh, their staff is neither here nor there. The fact that you were paying for the helicopter to go up there and fly over Cliff Richard's penthouse is of no interest to them whatsoever. So even if most of you say, well, we don't want Miranda Hart to do the Generation Game, um, they'll, they'll persevere with it because they couldn't care. That's what you think. They're not remotely interested. You don't think that the controller, Charlotte Moore, is going to change her opinion. She's got an agenda and she's going to stick to it. Otherwise, it'd be ridiculous. You'd be changing things left, right and centre. I mean, I did work on a programme once where they had a, a focus group and they were changing the set's too bright, this is too bright, get the presenters to change their clothes, get them to do this and get them to do that, you know, and they were so worried about swearing. Whereas, in fact, there was a huge issue with swearing the other day at uh, Monty Python's farewell show. There wasn't very much swearing, and people complained that there wasn't very much swearing because they wanted more of it. Watchdog Ofcom got 34 complaints objecting to cuts in it because of swearing. An Ofcom spokesman said, All our licensees are required to comply with our broadcasting rules, which make it clear that the most offensive language cannot be shown on television before the watershed. The watershed, I'm led to believe, is nine o'clock, although most kids are up later than nine o'clock. So they're going to hear this, and they hear it... They don't hear it on television, they're going to hear it at school. So what difference does it make? Most of the uh, presenters on children's BBC, they can barely have a command of the English language. Never anything like it. I mean, the dumbing down of television has been apparent for years and years, as far as I'm concerned. There was a case the other day of a robber. Now, I've I've lost the story, but he, uh, he was committing a robbery in Oxford, I believe. He smashed a jewellery shop window with a sledgehammer and then a crowd wrestled him to the ground and sat on him and he died. He had a cardiac arrest and died. His name's Clint Townsend, wearing uh, leather and a motorbike helmet. He was first grabbed by two shop staff, around half a dozen passers-by piled in. You know, you're doing this more and more now, you lot, I've noticed. We had it in Richmond a while ago where somebody... Because people weren't sure if it, if it was a filming you know, thing in process or, if it, if it, or whether or not it was real. And it was, again, somebody who got off a little scooter. There were two of them. And he went to smash a jewellery shop window with a sledgehammer and a pensioner waded in and knocked him to the ground. The other one fled but was wrestled to the ground as well. And, uh, and they were done. In the case of uh, poor old Clint Townsend, a tea leaf, 
He was only 33 in the covered market in Oxford. He suffered a cardiac arrest and died in hospital. I bet he blooming well did. I bet he did. I shouldn't laugh, but to be honest with you, it's people power, isn't it? What do you mean, rob from somebody? What, put people through hell? You're smashing their windows with a sledgehammer? Oh, dear. What a shame. Dreadful, isn't it, really? And we've got more and more of these gangs. The police are trying to combat these people on these on these scooters. And they're not having much luck at the moment, because it seems to be easier and easier to rob somewhere. We've seen people doing it in broad daylight. They go in there. Uh, there's also They've also got uh, the story, apart from the train fares, increasing 25% in the next four years, which is going to hit a lot of people. People who are struggling at the moment are going to be struggling even more when they sort of suddenly discover that not only that goes up, but the mortgage gets... There's always something, isn't there? Every time you open up the uh, the post, there's always another bill that's gone up or another bill you're not expecting. Just when you get square at the end of the month, the amount of people I've spoken to recently, and they said, oh, thank goodness we get paid this week, because it's a bank holiday weekend. And uh, they've said, I've run out of money already. And it's this living hand-to-mouth situation. It's this... The situation where the money goes into your bank account and then by the time you paid the bills and the overdraft and the kids have had to have new shoes. And that's the problem, isn't it, really? You've got the kids and their new shoes coming up very shortly and you're going to have to fork out for that. And kids' shoes are just as expensive as adults' shoes. And so, I don't know, parents manage. That's why all these school uniforms on sale in the supermarkets, I mean, they're so cheap now. They were doing, what was it the other day? I saw an advert on the television. Two white shirts for something like £3.50. I don't know how they make things like that. And the answer is they're made in sweatshops. You won't find anybody in this country who's actually making these things. They'd have to be made abroad. It's the only place that can do them at that price. I wonder if White D, says Peter, is making provision to pay the tax on the sum she's receiving for Celebrity Big Brother and other appearances. HMRC has many taxpayers who they make bankrupt because all the money's been spent and people in the entertainment section are frequent defaulters. Oh, yes. Oh, every time I see people on the television. Oh, yes. Lawn Spice. Is it Lawn Spice? She's another one. I mean, she's been made bankrupt. And then you happily see her sitting on the table. You think, wait a minute, you've earned this money. I think Anthea Turner's sister has also been bankrupt. And her husband is bankrupt as well. It's called, what I call, it's called cheating the system. You've earned the money, pay the tax. Everybody else has to manage it. Why can't you? And they earn more than we do. Far more than we do. So I'm hoping that uh, that White D will be paying the tax. I mean, do you think she's got an accountant? I mean, a little a little voice in the back of my head is going, you must be joking, Stephen. You don't seriously believe she's got an accountant? I go, well, I'd like to think that her uh, so-called agent, who seems to be garnering as much publicity for himself as anybody else, would be advising her in the tax department. But if he couldn't get Jade Goody to pay tax, what hope for anybody else? I mean, it is a bit of a worry, isn't it? You'd think that somebody would say, right, you've got this money. But, I mean, she will have to invoice. They don't just hand over money. She'll have to invoice. So whether or not they've set up a separate company, I don't know. But I suppose that could be the answer. I mean, she's she's not stupid. Put it this way, she knows how to milk the system. So I'm assuming she'd know how to, to milk the system for everything else. Because you're right, if you've, if you've spent the money, you haven't got anything. So Max Clifford, yesterday, I was telling you, has got a million pounds in cash... And assets of a million pounds for his Max Clifford media business. Today, it's in debt to the tune of £493,000. Because he hasn't paid his tax because he went into prison. You'd think they'd actually take, you know, sort of that into account. So all of a sudden, his company now doesn't have any money. And yet, only a short while ago, Max Clifford remortgaged his property. He lives in Isha. And he remortgaged to the tune of about three or four million pounds. Because that's what the house is worth. 
he was always pictured on the television, standing outside there with a very nice Bentley. His daughter Louise is uh, is handicapped, so she's uh, not running the business anymore, so they've decided to close it down. But from yesterday, when they appeared to have £2 million, today they've got nothing. It's called probably creative accounting. I wish I could do it. I wish I could do it. Honestly, I'll try and... I've, I've always been very good with tax. It doesn't make me a better person, because I, believe you me, like everybody else in the country, if I could get away with paying less, I would be attempting to try and pay less. But I don't. So I, I pay what is, uh, what is due, and uh, hopefully the taxman looks fondly at me and thinks, what a nice person that is. But uh, they'll be looking at her very carefully, because they don't just sit there twiddling their thumbs. They do look at people, and they do try and uh, find out when the money's going to be coming in. So she'll earn now, and she's had all this other money. I mean, so far, she must have earned a fair bit. She's had enough appearances. She's been flown backwards and forwards, but some of them she's been quite clever and just had it as flights and had it as food and stuff like that. Perhaps they'd give her a new television. I don't know. We'll wait and, uh, wait and find out. But how much is she getting for Big Brother? Who knows? <laughs> Early breakfast, LBC and Steve Allen with you until 6.30 this morning. Cliff Richard has had five hours' worth of meetings with a top lawyer. Actually, a top lawyer who represented Max Clifford. This is over the uh, handling of the case. MPs are now going to grill the BBC and the police. 20 million people arrive in this country. No proper checks at all. 14 Z-listers arrive in the celebrity Big Brother house. They're not really celebrities. Tim Vine is named the king of the one-liners and Julian attention-seeking Assange says he'll soon leave the Ecuadorian embassy. I mean, really, can we be bothered to wait much longer? The answer is, yes, we can. We want to see you with your little case packed very shortly. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. That and more is next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday morning in London town. It's Steve Allen with you until 6.30. So 14 Z-listers have arrived in the Celebrity Big Brother house. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't bother watching. There's nothing interesting going on there. Tim Vine has been named the king of the one-liners. Second year running. Mainly because he's about the only comedian who does do one-liners. Max Clifford's allowed out of prison to attend his brother's funeral but he was handcuffed to a police officer. Gardening is the key to fighting depression, and 20 million people a year arrive here without any proper checks at all. Oh, and Andy Murray's mother's going into Strictly Come Dancing. Doesn't get any worse, does it? And perhaps I'll ask the cleaner downstairs if they want to have a go at it. All of that and more from LBC with Steve Allen this morning. Lisa Aziz is going to be here at 6.30 with the morning news. I have to tell you now, I might as well own up and fess up and say that there's no free podcast for today because, frankly, my eye is giving me jip. And uh, actually, it turns out one of our reporters, Lorraine, has got uh, a problem with one of her eyes as well. And she's going on holiday next week, which is even worse. So uh, no free podcast for today, but you can download this programme a little bit later on as I sort of head back to go and get an appointment at the doctor's. Tim Vine getting his... um, getting his award yet again. About how they work out that this is the funniest gag, I don't know. Uh, the gag is, I've decided to sell my Hoover. Well, it was just collecting dust. And he listens to some of the other, some of the other ones. Uh, Masai Graham. I've written a joke about a fat badger, but I couldn't fit it into my set. Um, Mark Watson. Always leave them wanting more, my uncle used to say to me, which is why he's lost his job in disaster relief. And Rita Lena, I wanted to do a show about feminism, but my husband wouldn't let me. So those are some of the uh, the gags there. Uh, I like Tim Vine, actually. 
I like Tim Vine. We've, we've had him a few times on In Conversation, and he's always good. He, uh, he's the star of Not Going Out and the host of the game show Don't Blow the Inheritance. How he works these things out, I've got no idea. It must, I think it must take some sort of genius. I mean, I would love to repeat half of Michael McIntyre's set, because I think he's absolutely brilliant. I love Michael McIntyre. I really do. Very, very funny man. I know he's not everybody's choice, but he's, he's, uh, it's got nothing to do with how much money he's turning over. And I think he's turning over more than most people. I watched, who did I watch the other day? Um, Peter Kay. Now, I'm not, surprisingly, the biggest Peter Kay fan in the world. I don't know why, because he's perfectly acceptable. I loved him on Phoenix Nights. Uh, you know, then word filters through the business that he's not the easiest person to get on with. He's a bit difficult. But I watched his show, and he obviously appeals to a lot of northern folk. And they obviously like that kind of, why I, you know, got a flat cat, whip it, and like it. And he sort of plays down. But he must be immensely rich. He must be immensely... He did about the first ten minutes on his show with a handheld camera pointing it to the audience so they could see themselves on the big screen. Which I thought was actually quite good, actually. I might use that myself. Um, Steve says, Les, I think the revival of the Generation Game should have somebody like Brian Connolly to host it. Funny and a lot of charisma. Miranda Hart's very good as an actress, but her comedy show called Miranda was a load of old tosh. Funny thing is, Les, I think it's a bloke thing. Because I think women think she's very funny. I also didn't get the, uh, the, the show. I'm sure she's a brilliant actress, because I like people who don't have looks. And I mean that in a caring way. I don't mean, I don't mean you know, that that's a bad thing. It's because she looks like that. Yesterday we spoke to Matthew Kelly, and Matthew's got one of those faces. He can look very lugubrious. He can look sort of quite chirpy and happy and all that. And he, he, can, he can be any one, of a, any one of a number of things, a little bit chameleon-like. Uh, somebody thought that White D was on the sick. No, 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 she's much better now. She still suffers from depression, although how you prove it, I've got no idea. Because so far we haven't seen any evidence. I don't think she should be drinking alcohol if she suffers from depression. Uh, and Kevin the Milkman says, all my customers in the congestion charge area are served before 7am. What would be the point of me paying £57.50 a week out of my earnings just to do my job? That's three, three grand a year. After seven, I'm delivering around Brick Lane, Shoreditch and Hoxton, avoiding the camera cars. See, that's, I agree with you, absolutely. I mean, I object to paying to come into town anyway. I've lived and supported this, this capital city for the last long time. Long, long time. And, and, and what is my reward? I have to pay to come into town. And I wouldn't mind if they let you park for free. But you have to pay a fortune. I mean, it can cost, you know, serious money. You know, gone are the days of, you know, a couple of quid. I went to, where did I, when I went to the hospital the other day, I went to Stoke Mandeville Hospital to visit my friend Gary. And I put it in the car park there, because they've got loads of car parts, but you have to pay. And I didn't see a sign saying how much it was. And so I thought, well, I can't, you know, you're going to visit somebody in hospital who's not very well. It doesn't really matter to me. But I can understand how, for some people, that would be a bit difficult, paying in these hospitals. And there was uh, a feature done in, I think there's a feature in one of the papers today, on the hospital charges. Because it's quite expensive. Anyway, I was there for a few hours, and that cost me four pounds. And I thought £4 was, was OK. I mean, I was, I was more than happy to pay £4 because I thought it was, it was worth it. It was in a little tiny car park and uh, I was practically on top of the hospital anyway. But I know some people are sort of complaining bitterly about it, saying it's so expensive to park in these hospital car parks. You know, if you don't have a lot of money, how are you supposed to afford to do it? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, luckily, I took change, because I know that when you go there, there's never a change machine, because they do take credit cards in these machines. And most people, most people, appear to have a, uh, a credit card of some sort. But I do object to paying to come into town. 
I really do. The idea of paying £11 now. So I, I, I come in by train, which, of course, is what they want you to do. Well, do they? Do they want you to do that all the time? I don't know. Cliff Richard is holding talks with his uh, legal team, one of Britain's top criminal lawyers. He met Ian Burton for nearly five hours. They had a working lunch at his holiday home on the Algarve. Uh, Mr Burton, accompanied by a colleague, was picked up and driven to Sir Cliff's home. The two men left after 4.30 in, uh, in a car owned by Cliff's sister, Joan. And it, it'll be very interesting to see, because now MPs are asking questions about how badly this has been handled. You know, they could have waited until Cliff came back into the country. It's almost as if they deliberately waited until he was out of the country before they did it. They have to ask questions about... Who was it? Which news editor at the BBC? Let's have a name. Where did you hear that there was going to be a raid? You don't just phone up the police, do you, and say, oh, by the way, um, I know that there's going to be a raid on Cliff, so could you hold it for a little while while we get a helicopter up? Because that's precisely what must have happened. Otherwise, you know, how did the BBC manage to get a helicopter up in the air over Cliff's premises? There's so many questions that need to be answered. And somebody's head is going to roll somewhere, whether it's somebody who is... uh, who is the, the spy in the police force who is reporting to somebody for a tip-off fee, I don't know. But put it this way, you don't get... I mean, how would you hear that otherwise? Unless somebody in the know told you, we're going to raid Cliff Richard's home. It's not like, uh, do you have any, any celebrities you'll be raiding any time soon? You know, that's why they have to ask these questions. So it's quite good that the MP... And let's face it, Tony Blair, a very good friend of Cliff Richard, I should imagine they'll be pulling strings left, right and centre and finding out exactly how this was allowed to happen. They're not supposed to be named, these people. They're not supposed to be named until they're being charged. Sitting on our balcony in Hawaii, watching the sun going down, we live in Hampton and Isheen. Says, gosh, a two-centre holiday. Linda, Nigel, Maggie and Colin sitting on a balcony in Hawaii. That sounds nice, doesn't it? I don't know, I've never been to Hawaii. I'm not I'm sure I want to go to Hawaii. Is it famous for anything? I suppose it's a lot of... Is the food nice? Raymond says, my eye was going red for a few weeks on and off as I left it. I've now got sort of some sort of palsy for the last three months. Uh, well, I'm going to the, uh, the doctors today because I tried the, uh, the cream yesterday and that didn't work. So we're going to be trying uh, the doctor today. So we need something a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. Uh, 84850, Steve at uh, LBC. Uh, Paula says, White D is supposed to be depressed, hence why she can't work. She seems to be OK in the Celebrity Big Brother house. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Um, and, uh, but I don't know. I don't know how you prove these sort of things. But, of course, she's managed to be on benefits for years. That's why she was on the programme called Benefit Street. She was on benefits because she can't work because she's depressed. There are loads of people like this, and yet she's managed to get herself the size of a whale and uh, still seems to be laughing and joking in the Big Brother house. In fact, all her gigs, she seems to be laughing and joking, a bit like Julian Assange was laughing and joking with us yesterday. I shall leave the embassy refuge very soon. He's just an attention seeker, isn't he? Just an attention seeker. And we haven't found a benefit fraudster for at least a day. But we found one here who works on the Tube in London. He's still employed by uh, Transport for London, but he faces disciplinary action. This is a ticket inspector, Dean Shulton, employed throughout the period. And, in fact, for, for 18 years he's been claiming benefits. He claims he could hardly walk, bless his heart. He's a ticket inspector. How did he get from carriage to carriage? But anyway, he also had to descend to the tracks in an emergency. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? 90 grand, and he's been claiming, the prosecutor said he, he applied for DLA in 94, claiming he couldn't walk 100 yards without becoming tired and breathless, prone to chest infection and depression. Managed to got a fag in his mouth here, so obviously not that blooming depressed, are you, matey? But anyway, uh, jailing him for... He's, been, he's gone to prison for 40 weeks. 
That's good. Well, it's a start, isn't it? It's not long enough. The dishonesty is to continue to get these benefits, you old tea leaf, honestly. So, what's his name? Dean Shulton. Remember it, just in case he pops up again. Quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. 6.20 is the time. Apparently, according to Dan, Dog the Bounty Hunter is massive in Hawaii. This is this bloke who goes out there with his peculiar wife. He's got long, sort of hair. He looks like a reject from one of those wrestling programmes. And they go out there and they arrest people who've got a bounty on their head. They're wanted for some some misdemeanour credit card or they're wanted for an assault or whatever it happens to be. And he goes out there. I've watched the programme a few times. The other one I think is hilarious is the very fat blokes who go out there in their truck to pick up uh, cars. They're, they're repo men, but I, I can't remember what the programme's called, but they're sort of repo men, not unsimilar to Dog the Bounty Hunter, who sort of takes men and women into custody, and his wife sits there and she's wearing... The, I mean, now she's stayed in her outfit, I'll never know, but it's a sheer... <laughs> sheer miracle that she manages to stay covered up. And they're all there. They all think that they're sort of like Rambo. But you've got these other two blokes who go out there and they take cars away from people. They say, oh, your car's really cute, man. I really like it. And they get in their driveway. They go, hey, bring my car back. And he goes, no, we've got a court order. It's been repossessed. That one I quite like because they're, they're, they're slightly worrying, <laughs> slightly worrying people. But there again, I find all these people on these programmes are fairly worrying. I suppose they have to be slightly over the top. But I have seen... Uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter. And the other one I like is um, that programme where they all open up these cabinets and they have to bid on the rubbish that's inside there. Uh, which I, th- I think is, uh, is fantastic. I, think it's, I mean, that one, I think it's really, really... I think it's really, really good. I think that's really wonderful. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, another one here. And uh, this is from... from somebody says... Um, um, uh, D is supposed to be bipolar. If she's in the Big Brother house long enough, we'll see if she really is. Well, I mean, I suppose there's all sorts of... I mean, put it way, she hasn't worked in years. I see no reason why she can't get some sort of job. I, I mean, I, I really don't understand why she can't get something. There must be some sort of job. Oh, guess, guess who's, who's coming back? Spandau Ballet. They're making a documentary about coming back. Uh, and then they're holding their European premiere at the Royal Albert Hall. Good grief. So Tony Headley. Tony Hadley. Gary Kemp, uh, Steve Norman, John Keeble and Martin Kemp will then take part in a Q&A session with the ghastly Lauren Laverne. Oh, can't bear her. Cannot bear her. Dreadful. Perhaps she's bipolar as well. Everybody's bipolar, have you noticed nowadays? I'm not even sure. What... Storage hunters. Oh, and the other one is lizard lick towing. Thank you. Everybody knows what it's called. Lizard lick towing. Isn't it interesting that we're all watching the same programmes? You obviously can't have a life like I haven't got a life, and I watch these things. I find them quite entertaining. They are, they're a bit big, though, aren't they? But I suppose if you're doing something like that, you've got to be a bit big and slightly intimidating. There's a story in the paper today, which I think appeared last week in this uh, programme. Uh, a group, a bridegroom, sorry, who faked his own death to wriggle out of his looming wedding. Tucker Blanford's fiance, Alex Lanchester, was devastated to receive a call telling her he committed suicide, throwing himself in the path of a car because he was so depressed. But apparently it was him, disguising his voice to tell the shocking lie. Struggling to take in the news, she later rang Tucker's parents to offer condolences, only to find out she'd been duped. I would have thought, I mean, perhaps I'm surprised you didn't think about that. They said their son was alive and well. We had somebody like that years ago, but he had some mental illness, and he did the same sort of thing. He said, dreadful, my mother's been killed in a car crash. Following weekend, the blooming woman phoned up and somebody went, oh, you're alive. She went, yes. But uh, Alex from Sutton Coalfield, 
uh, said, he shattered my trust. I really loved him and never thought he'd go such, uh, to such extreme lengths. Dear. He says, Alex is an amazing girl, but I got scared. He's gay. OK, there we are. Sold that one. He's gay. Definitely gay. Apparently been deeply depressed, he said. This is what he said to her on the phone, pretending to be somebody else, and he'd thrown, it, thrown himself under a car. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't even sound believable, does it, really? But some people tell fibs like that. Guess who's got a new album out? Guess who's got a new, pro, uh, a new album out? It's Smokey Robinson, ex of the Miracles. At the age of 74, he's a sole survivor. My favourite record of all time, Tears of a Clown. Absolutely. And uh, Smokey Robinson will be my guest on In Conversation very, very shortly. Uh, together with... Oh, I've got somebody else actually coming up. It's somebody from Downton Abbey. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Well, no, I'm not going to tell you just who it is. But uh, we've got them on the uh, on the same day. So Smokey Robinson in in the morning, and then this uh, this other one coming in, this other person at lunchtime. So I'm very much looking forward to, very much looking forward to that. Uh, and don't forget Notting Hill Carnival this coming weekend. Don't forget I am here on Sunday mornings as well. A lot of people tend to forget. They think I'm just Monday through Friday, but no, I'm here Sunday morning for. Uh, in conversation between five and six this weekend. It's Tony Blackburn. It's a one-hour special. And then after that, uh, I'm live between six and eight as we wander through the Sunday papers. And what a couple of weeks it's been. How times have changed for the Big Ben cleaners. I think they've had to hold the clock at the moment. Uh, There was no health and safety ruling in 1980 when they dangled off the front of Big Ben. And now there they are, wearing high-vis uniforms, ear defenders... Oh, no, they've not turned the bells off. They've kept them... Go- oh, blimey, can't imagine what it looks like. I'd love to see that. I mean, you can look out of the uh, the windows there. And uh, what they do, the specialists... I mean, nothing on earth would ever get me to climb out of a window on a rope to clean the front of Big Ben. I'm sorry. Absolutely nothing at all. I can't do heights at the best of time. But uh, brothers Reg and Terry, uh, docile, each perched on a narrow plank of wood hanging from a length of rope. Oh! <gasps> Dear me, with a bucket of soapy water, there's nothing that would get me... I mean, it's very, it's, it must be a fantastic thing to do. I remember Blue Peter, years and years ago, climbed up, um, climbed up Nelson's column and they strapped ladders to the outside. Well, I felt ill watching. I can't do anything like that at all. I must, be, I must try, try and get over this fear of, uh, of, of heights. Uh, Steve, uh, lizard lick towing his stage. One of the people getting their car repossessed has also been on Jerry Springer and has appeared in a couple of uh, films on the on the Sci-Fi Channel. Well, it makes it more exciting. But most of the American programmes... I like the one where they had this guy who came round who uh, the family had had all sorts of disasters and it was all terribly, terribly depressing. And then they, they sort of come up... And they go, listen, we're going to send you off to a hotel. And when they come back, they've rebuilt their house and they put in this. They might have a disabled son or daughter. And I love those. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. I mean, Carol Vorderman used to do one over here where no expense possible. Whereas you get Peter Andre coming around. It's a bit low rent, isn't it? Peter Andre and a few half-hearted people I didn't like very much. Carol Vorderman better. But the one in America, absolutely fantastic. Listen, that's it for today. So let me repeat once again. There's no free podcast for today because I've got to go and get my eyes sorted out. I love the way that uh, Clive went, oh, yeah, it is bad. I thought, God, I didn't think it looked that bad, but apparently it does. So I should go and get it sorted out, and I'll be back with you tomorrow morning, gold willing, and uh, and the NHS, which I'm sure it will. Uh, There will be the remainder of the programme to podcast uh, from about 7 o'clock this morning. If you don't know how to do that, go to the LBC website, download the free app, and uh, then you can subscribe to the free podcast and download everything on LBC. Have a very, very nice day. Nick Ferrari and the team with you at seven o'clock this morning. Coming up next, it's Lisa Aziz with the morning news.